You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 44, The Saving Throw, featuring Bruce Ploche. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. It's Unwind Wednesday again, and that means I've got more good news for you to chew on this week's episode featuring Southwest Louisiana counselor Bruce Ploche. Bruce has a positive energy that really kept me engaged the whole time we talked, and he's got some really great ideas about counseling that I've never heard before. There's definitely something to be gained from our conversation. Next week's episode will be the last episode of June, episode 45, and it features the talented duo of Justin and Emily Martindale. If you've been a listener for a while, then you know that I've got a chance to visit with couples that are in business before, and it's a really great treat. I'd never met Justin or Emily before, and I think we got along really great. Our conversation was alive, so I definitely can't wait to pass it along to you. July's lineup of episodes is going to be really fun. First, we'll be kicking things off with episode 46, featuring Cameron Parish Port Director Claire Hebert Marceau. Episode 46 will be another special road trip edition. Claire invited me out to Rutherford Beach to visit with her right next to the waves of the Gulf. There's a lot of salt water in this episode, and I'm not just talking about the Gulf. Claire really shares all the room in her heart with me, and I really feel honored to share it with you. Other episodes in July are going to feature Braylon Jenkins, Mike Brignac, and Kayla Rigney. We'll also be celebrating the 50th episode of Find the Good News in July, and I'm hoping to have something really special for you to listen to. I know what you really came here for, and it wasn't announcements. It's time to sync up your audio, put in your earbuds, open up the door to your heart, screw on your thinking cap, and press play on a little good news. When you produce a show about good people doing good works, when you open that door, you never know who's going to sit across the table from you or how they're going to end up there. Someone contacts me and says, this guy really helped my family and me. You should get him on Find the Good News. It's hard to resist making the first contact. I've learned to trust my listeners because they've been right every single time. And that track record didn't change when local counselor Bruce Ploche sat down behind the microphone. There was an instant easiness with Bruce, and our conversation flowed naturally from the jump. Bruce used our natural affinity for comic books and science fiction as the building blocks of our discussion, not all dissimilar from the way he uses them to help the people he works with to build better lives for themselves. He's a natural talker and listener, and I found that he engaged everything I asked with enthusiasm. At Bruce's center, I experienced an authentic nature and honesty qualities that were flourished by petals of his quick wit and humor. If you tune into this show because people share openly, then you've picked a good one because Bruce illustrates just how healing it can be to open up in a healthy way. He's teaching children and adults how to develop more robust communication and relationship practices through role-playing, and he sees results. What I learned from Bruce is that it's essential to understand the origins of others, and it's of equal importance to know where you come from as well. Sometimes you have to roll the dice and mix things up to discover your saving grace, your superpower. The good news is that in trying on a lot of masks and cloaks, you sometimes find the one that fits you just right, and you may discover your true face in the process. Wake up. It's morning, you're dreaming up a story I can hear the way it's going Cause you're laughing in your sleep on the path to you
deliverance and a holy wall of light pouring through your window. Old news, bad news, fake news. Sometimes you just want to shut it all down and get no news at all. With Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives. Discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm going to find the good. And I love you just. show pretty conversational i don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of them before i haven't yet uh i know i i need to i don't have i need to get more free time so i need to get i think we all could <laughs> use that <laughs> i find my uh my mental health is goes uh the quality of that goes up when i have more free time yes definitely yeah time time to think about it so like i said when you walked in the door um I know like this much and I'm holding up about a half inch about you. You were actually recommended for this show by a relative of mine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when, whenever you first sent me the thing, uh, I was kind of thinking, well, I wonder what I'm being nominated for. Uh, I actually have uh, quintuplet children. Uh, and so that was my first <laughs> thought was it was probably something to do with the quintuplets. We also have a, a sixth child. Uh, but then I was also like, but we're also doing those D&D groups that have kind of gotten yeah. really big. So it really could be any of those things. <laughs> yeah. Well, I went, you know, anytime somebody recommends somebody, you know, because I, I get I get waves of it you know i'll get like four or five names and then it'll kind of die out and then i think what happens is um and i don't know maybe i'm putting something out there whenever I'm, I'm making posts but then i'll get another wave you know and so your name's actually been in the mix for a little while kind of floating around and i said well i'm going to try to connect with him but i like to do a little little bit of research you know i don't want to just bring somebody in cold and go okay i have no idea what's going <laughs> right. on but yeah. uh you're right you know i i was kind of doing my little light cyber stalking i said hey he's got a he's got a van full of kids <laughs> yes <laughs> i saw a picture you posted the other day uh or you were heading to live at the lakefront. Yes, yeah. Um, let's see. Was it live at the? Yeah, yeah, live at the. Oh, it was they, a while back. Yeah, it might have been the, like a couple months ago. I get it confused with that uh, sun downtown at sun. <laughs> it's like I, I don't. They they all seem really cool, but I can't remember which ones which. Yeah, we did go to live at the lakefront. Really awesome event. I have a lot of artist friends, and so uh, they had a lot of booths and stuff. But uh, that was the thing we got to do the least of because taking six young children around, you don't want to be around a lot of artsy, expensive oh, things. Yeah, grab things oh i know yeah. i know i think that my son and he loves science and loves going to the museum but he um he's tactile man like he wants to engage with it looking is not like we went to the uh houston museum of natural science about a month ago <clears throat> and some of those exhibits i'm like oh i can tell like he is on an invisible tether man he <laughs> he wants to to get up there with the bones you know <laughs> like yeah. oh, hey i want to touch that Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, and the the quintuplets are pretty disciplined. Uh, they, uh, I think they're used to it. They're just used to being uh, kind of 
marched around like a marching band. Uh, I actually uh, am uh, divorced from their mom, and so okay. we, we split them about sixty forty. And so they uh, they that's kind of uh, how they are. And then our my I have a uh, with my wife we have a daughter, and she's a little bit more free. She's got that free spirit, so she's the one that <laughs> we're having to rein in. So it's like marching around with uh, this group that kind of stays in line, and then you have this other one that's kind of yeah. all over the place. <laughs> Something that's really been uh, it's interesting how these conversations shape up because I, I, I find talking about my kids especially with somebody else who's talking about theirs I always have questions and for me something that I've noticed especially in the last you know five years is that my children's interests are a lot more mature uh, and adult I guess and and or things that I would have thought maybe that I wasn't interested in until I was older is where I'm going with that. And yes. they want to know more than just like the skin of a thing. They're like, no, okay, you told me that, but I want to know like how this works on, on all these different dimensions. Do you kind of experience that? I do. And this is dangerous because you're saying this to me now and I'm formulating this theory within 10 seconds of you talking. And so <laughs> I'll say something. And then after a couple of minutes, I'll probably be like, wait, that's not right. But, um, I, I imagine it has a lot to do with technology. I mean, when we were growing up, it was, uh, I think it, my, my kids are the quints are six and, and then my uh, daughter is about to turn four. And I think we, we played Mario but that was about it and when you played mario you really only played mario for like what 30 minutes and then you put it down because you're like that's about that was it it's over do. game over yeah and and you'd go out and you'd play and you'd be with your your cohorts is what we call them it's people of your age group and so uh you you get to learn from the people in your age group um and then nowadays it's just watching youtube and watching uh they, they even have like the videos where it's kids playing with toys uh, yeah with that ryan kid has his own show and stuff and yeah and, and so that they, they watch older kids and they're, they're trying to emulate and role model off of those uh older people yeah their, their <clears throat> role models are totally different yeah that's right i didn't think of it yeah. that way but they're seeing kids their own age do these things and they're going well what's the difference in them and me really quickly and going yeah. I, I should be able to do that i can do that i, I mean as a six-year-old I think I probably I think in passing I would pass by uh, my older brother and his friends who were like five years older than us and then they would hurt us in some way and we'd run away from them and that was about the only contact I would have with older kids whereas nowadays it's just constantly looking yeah. at what the older kids are doing on YouTube and, uh -huh. and stuff yeah no that's I, I totally get that my especially with my youngest and and honestly my next oldest I have uh, one that's gone from home she's 21 soon but uh my other two are well he'll be 16 soon and then one's about to be nine but the 16 and the nine-year-old there that's where i've seen it the most like their their interests were just way beyond almost my means to even keep them interested i mean i, I just didn't have that capacity sometimes <laughs> i was like man they want to know more and go further with this than i ever would have probably thought about right yeah uh, and, and there's some really expensive hobbies out there nowadays. oh yeah yeah <laughs> well like yesterday i'll give you an example um my son is really wants to be involved in scientific experiments and you know yesterday i'm thinking what's the, what's something low-key that we can do and you know the most low-key thing we could think was like dropping mentos into the soda bottle you know <laughs> and i mean i'm going it's got to be low-key because i don't have much time and you can't go dumping tons of money in this and so my wife agreed she goes okay look i'm gonna go buy a couple of bottles of soda some mentos and that's gonna be kind of the science for today right like we don't have a lot of time Makes Sun's going really down. want to go out and buy some mentos right now it's like, pretty exciting <laughs> 
Well, he built yeah. it up in his head, and like, so he had seen a YouTube video. Oh man, you know where they did this really complicated thing, and so we get home, and within thirty seconds, he's tried to do this complex thing. It didn't go great. Didn't do what he thought it was going to do. And I said, well, let's before we go to the next bottle, because I mean, we only bought stupid parents. We only bought two bottles of soda to yeah. waste, you know. <laughs> so uh, he, we did the second one, and we got a reaction. But man, I could tell like it bugged him all night. He was just like, I just I messed that first experiment up. I just I shouldn't have. I should have slowed down. I needed this and that. And I was like, I honestly believe we probably could have bought twenty bottles of soda. And, and went through them all yesterday. That, that's a that's a very good point. Um, I have one one of my kids, uh, Reese, is very. Uh, he, he's like my Leonardo, uh, uh, yeah. my Cyclops of the group, <laughs> and uh, and he does every little mistake he has. He he just fixates on, and it's really hard to get him to move on to something. And I guess I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna blame YouTube today. That's where I'm gonna keep going back to. Uh, mm. get, when, when you get those YouTube videos, they probably take hundreds of those Coke bottles. And, and you're right, they're probably trying yeah. to take all these. And different you're only actions. seeing. That that huge reaction that, that you're getting, one. and uh, they might even do something else to even alter it. Um, yeah, and and so uh, they, they might add something else to the mix that we don't even realize, just so they can get a bigger reaction from it. Um, and uh, our, that's what our kids are getting bombarded with. And so then whenever they face it in real life, it's the same thing with video games. That's the thing that really frustrates my son is uh, Mario. Whenever he can't mm. do something in uh, Mario Odyssey. No, yeah, Mario Odyssey, uh, exactly like he's seeing on YouTube. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't have that comparison, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there was We were watching... Knowing my son's involved like science and astrology and... Um, astrology astronomy i don't know which one's the one that's not about the star signs <laughs> yeah uh he, he's into the planets and you know things like that just really things react reactive things he's always yes. telling me about the volcanoes on the, on the moons around you know uh jupiter and all this stuff i go Heck how do yeah. you know all this stuff but anyway he uh it, we i thought you know what he'd like and i don't know if you've ever seen the movie it was one of jake gyllenhaal's first movie the october sky where he builds I the rockets i vaguely remember that one yes i thought he might like that you know that's in that kind of category and i think i created a monster because <laughs> that movie put this it, it, it let me say it like this let me get my thoughts collected so when i'm watching that film i'm rooting for the kid right it's a true story so i'm rooting for the kid his dad's going don't get your head stuck in the clouds come work in the coal mine i'm going come on kid keep going because we know the end of the story we know the kid is the guy that's at nasa you know who's helped create the whole you know rocket program getting the space shuttles right so we're rooting for this kid and all the naysayers were going yeah y'all shut you know y'all shut up you know he's gonna do it on the same note, being a parent and watching that with your child, I'm going, oh, it's fueling this interest. But then the reality is my kid now is going, hey, what can I like tear apart in this house and build whatever I've got in my head, right? <laughs> yes. You see what I'm right. saying? And so now this movie has set the precedent that if you know, I'm rooting for the kid. Well, shouldn't I be rooting for my kid to go repurpose, you know, the vacuum cleaner and create a, you know, a whatever yeah right so it's like it's an interesting thing because then you're going then i get to step in the dad role and going well i don't want you to come work in the coal mine but i don't (laughs) want you to take the vacuum apart either and i'm happy i know it if you're like me then you've got a long wish list of things you need to do around your house things you just can't get to 
It's not that I don't want to do them, but between my responsibilities at work, producing this show, and squeezing in some valuable mental downtime, I can't seem to get around to fixing the small stuff, and the big stuff is just waiting in line. To be honest, it kind of stresses me out. Maybe you're stressing out too. Well, stress no more because I've got good news. My friend Ben Von Duke has started a handyman service and he takes the mystery out of getting these things done. Ben Von Duke is not just some guy that calls himself handy. He knows what he's doing and he knows a whole lot. Not only is he an experienced and professional carpenter, but he's kind of a duke of all trades. What I love is that he's created an a la carte price list of services so you don't have to worry about getting in your pockets too deep before you're ready. He'll fix your running toilet, install appliances, replace fixtures, install ceiling fans, repair sheetrock and concrete, and a whole lot more than that. Look, I'm not too proud to say this, but sometimes it takes me three times as long to fix something because I've got to get online and search videos just to figure out what tools I need. Then I have to go buy the tools that I don't have and then kind of sort of come home and do the job. I don't have to do that anymore because Ben Von Duke will do it and do it better. On top of all that, he's just a good person, someone you can trust. He's honest, he's kind, and those are things that I value highly, and I bet you do too. You can get a hold of Ben Von Duke, the Duke of all trades, the good old-fashioned way, by using the phone. Call or text Ben at 337-540-1355. That's 337-540-1355. He'll send you his service and price list, and trust me, his prices are more than fair. And do me a favor. When you do message Ben at 337-540-1355, tell him you heard about the Duke of all trades on Find the Good News. <laughs> and, and I remember growing up, it was, uh, I always played in bands and, uh, you know, I had all these musician friends and, uh, it was, you'd have the guys who were like, Oh, I think about dropping out of high school. Cause, uh, you know, my band's going to get signed. It's like, Oh dude, like, <laughs> right, right, right. And, uh, it is, there's a fine line between maintaining that kid's dream, but then also making sure they're pursuing something tangible, something yeah. realistic. Um, but then again, if you, uh, don't have those parents who are letting their kids dreams and you don't have the ones who exactly mm. yeah so it's like how much of a you know i guess it's kind of like one visualization i could have on that is like you want to create a, a, a ramp for your kid mm -hmm. but you also want there to be enough of an incline to it so that it's not just uh a free-for-all right yes. to where it's like they get the full experience of hey you know there, there are some rules and boundaries of navigating you can be a rebel, but you can also be a rebel within the framework of reality, you know? And that's kind of how, that's really how counseling kids is. It's, uh, I think, um, as a parent, we always have the tendency, you know, the, the, the track that we go on is never going to be that straight line that your kid needs. It's always going to go a little bit off course, maybe being a little bit too hard, maybe you're a little bit too lenient, or, uh, you know, you might be pushing their dreams a little bit too much or, or kind of feeding into their unrealistic dreams, or you're not letting them do it enough. And as a counselor, that's kind of uh, what I look to do is, is see uh, how I can help that kid go to the other side, help the parents kind of get them to that other yeah. side that they're not nurturing. Yeah, so that's great. I'm actually glad you segued <laughs> into that because I was hearing our conversation and I was going, you know, this is this actually walks right into what you do. 
right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about kids and, and the way they're, what they're dealing with in the modern world. I mean, so tell the audience what you do. I mean, a lot of stuff. So I, uh, I don't have a specific population that I work with. I do work with a lot of kids. I got, got typecast there with having six kids of my own. Ah. Uh, so I do work with adults also, family and, and things like that. But, but right. um, f- a good bit of what I do is working with kids. Uh, I work with kids that have uh, ADHD issues um, or, or sometimes parents who assume they have ADHD issues. Uh, and then uh, I, I work with a lot of uh, individuals with autism or uh, um Really, uh, I also so I have a private practice at New Horizons Counseling Center, but then I also do case management through uh, the Institute for Neuropsychiatry. Okay, and so throughout the day, it's like every hour I'm working with a different issue, totally different population, and I like that. It keeps me very. Uh, was that by choice? I mean, did you like choose to work specifically with children, you know, ADHD and autism and things like that? Or did that just come about and you thought, then you felt like, hey, I'm kind of being pulled towards this? I think uh, starting, like when you start out as a counselor, it's uh, it, it's it's a lot harder than you realize it is. It's kind of like, like if you're uh, a barber and, and you want to keep a steady clientele and you want to work 40 hours a week, you, you need at least 160, 200 clients. Uh, it's the same thing with counseling. If I see somebody an average of once a month, uh, in order to keep a 40 hour a week, uh, Clientele, you have to have like 160, 200 active clients yeah. to make that happen. And so at first, you're just scrounging around trying to find any job you can find. Sure. Um, and at some point, when counselors start to build their 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 base up, they start to find what they really like doing and and, and try to focus on that. Um, I think what what happened was that at the office that I work at, uh, there's not a lot of people that wanted to work with kids. And so I kind of got a lot of the kid clients. I see. And uh, I really enjoy it. But then also I I, uh, I still work with pretty much every population because I think I'm one of those people that uh, like a jack of all trades. It's not really a master of anything. Mm-hmm. And I like to keep busy in a bunch of new stuff. And, and so uh, I like to uh, kind of go from population to population because it, it, it keeps me... Uh, uh, keeps it fresh it keeps it new i can see that and then yeah. also just the density of that i mean so if you're you if you were to just deal with children i'm sure there's times just like any any other profession where when you're talking to an adult or you, you learn new things with each person i'm sure that you deal with in a counseling situation so something you encounter with an adult surely at some point you go hey that's relevant to something oh, i'm dealing with with a child most definitely and you almost never work with just like if you work with a client long enough you're almost not just working with that client you're going to eventually start working with the family mm. um or even friends uh and even if they don't come into the session you're doing it vicariously because they're talking about uh their friends and family and so uh with any client that i've been working with for at least three to six months i'm already starting to kind of teach the kid like uh maybe adult things so they understand the adults a little bit better or if i'm working with the adults i'm teaching them kid stuff to understand the kids better yeah um i think our social network not not uh real life social network has a lot more to do with our uh 
mental well-being than we realize. We want to pretend like we're these independent lone wolves, and if we're having an issue, that's that's kind of us, and we have to fix it. Or, or if we're doing great, that's us, and we did it on our own. But we're really collectivistic creatures, and so uh, I, I think that's one of the problems that, that we get into sometimes is we don't focus on our social situation enough. We hang out with friends that we shouldn't be hanging out with, or we don't go out and make new friends as our old friends start to move away and our, we see our uh, circle kind of start to shrink and decline and, uh, and and so a lot of times when I'm working with my clients I am trying to make them build their their base up yeah you know you're you're man you're talking my language <laughs> all of that I mean there's so much to unpack right there I, I've been having this conversation with people on the show to some degree or another that we are creatures of communication I mean that's what we are really geared towards I mean we're not like um, any other creature in that regard I mean we have so many ways to interact I mean we, mm-hmm. we, we can all of our senses but then all the the, uh, the desire to interact too so I mean we how important it is to us to our relationship I mean we have to have healthy relationships if we want to be healthy that's, yes. that's just the way I, I think like you said I mean you can think you're an island and that you know there's no ships coming to the shore and that you're just kind of there by yourself but that's just not the case at all we're all like countries where things are migrating through and walking through us you know and we yeah. have a, a history just like a land has a history you know most definitely uh, I work with a, uh, a lot of guys who are getting out of the prison system uh, I okay. used to do groups with that and, and I still uh, do one group at this really there's this really cool house uh, called the Bethesda House in uh, in Lake Charles, and I've uh, never heard of that. Yeah, it, it, they they only have about four or five beds, but it's guys who are down on their luck. Maybe they're getting out of the prison system or, or they're homeless, and uh, they then go stay at this house. And uh, Pastor Jimmy Stevens puts it on, and he uh, they uh, basically help them get connected with. Uh, jobs or, or other things that they need in the community and uh, as I'm working with this population I, I kind of um, started to notice this kind of anecdotal but I started to notice that uh, if I had a guy that was I was working with him and he's about to get out and uh, we'd be working on the social stuff and he'd be like no I'm not going to go hang out with my old friends um, so okay cool and uh, so he'd leave and then every now and then I'll see him like six months later and they're back in the system I'm like what happened and uh, I've had multiple people tell me that they, they made it a couple months they didn't you know they weren't hanging out with anybody they were just you know trying to they were trying to stay away from their friends but then a couple months would go by and they just get lonely and uh, someone would hit them up at the wrong time where their friends they shouldn't be hanging out with and it's like I'm lonely I gotta go hang out with this person and uh, that's whenever they would get back in trouble and because uh, I think especially guys uh, it might be sexist say, cause probably probably women too but guys we uh, we we, we, we think that our friends don't matter. You know, we, we think that, yeah, that lone wolf, we do it on our own, man is an island, um, and, and we, we kind of push that friend stuff to the side, and then we get lonely, and we don't even notice it until that point of breaking, and it's like we don't have these people around us. And uh, w- with those guys, I found they would, they'd hang out with the people they shouldn't whenever they were feeling that lonely desperation. Yeah, because they know that it's, um, it's the need for connection. I mean, I guess it's like, uh, well... It's so hard to go build new relationships, right? I mean, or at least it, it seems it's going to be hard, you know, because when you get into relationships, eventually you're going to get to your story and maybe your story is not so good. Or maybe you've never felt safe telling your story to somebody. And that's for me, that's how I've always connected with people 
is through story. You know, I tell, I think maybe, maybe that's how everybody is. I don't know. It's like, Hey, here's a little bit about me. You tell me a little bit about you. And if we're telling each other the truth, you know, at some point you're going to get intimate. Some point you're going to cross over the fence and get into the things that maybe are ugly or even, you know, painful or whatever. And that's not always, I don't know, maybe we don't always feel safe to do that. So it's so easy yeah. to go right back to that group of people because you go, Hey, they know my story. I don't have to retell it and they don't care. That's it. Um, and people don't realize that's, that's how we bond. That's uh, when, when somebody tells us something uh, vulnerable, that that's really how we bond with others. Um, so like like uh, a lot of times and back <laughs> the stereotypical sexist stuff, but a lot of times whenever women uh, tell guys the stereotype is uh, they say you never open up to me, right? And uh, the guy will sit there and be like, man, I, I told you what I did. It's from six a.m. all the way till the time I went in bed. I told you every single thing that I did that day, and the woman's still like, but you don't open up to me. Mm. It's like I don't, I don't know what you're what you're wanting, and what they're wanting is that vulnerability. A lot of times when we share our story, we share it from this place of strength. Uh, everything is the good stuff that we did that day mm-hmm. and the fun stuff that happened to us, things we accomplished. But people really bond with us when we show them our vulnerabilities. It's just like a dog when they, they show their belly to other dogs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's when that bonding happens. And so uh, you have that guy who pushes himself through work. Even if he's feeling sick, he's at work, he's pushing himself through. He actually bonds a little bit more with his wife if he's able to lay there on the couch and let her make chicken noodle soup for him. Because uh, that's whenever she feels empowered. That's when she feels like he needs her. And uh, a lot of times with friends uh no there's the other end of the spectrum too we have those friends that take way too much advantage of us and they yeah they push too your far. openness and then they're like oh you're open and they get yeah. all up in there right? I'm, yeah. I'm gonna complain to you every single day and i'm gonna take everything you have but, yeah but, but this is for the uh, that, that other end of the spectrum where uh you, you do you have to show your friends that vulnerability uh, otherwise they're gonna get sick of you they, they don't just, they just feel like they're getting that superficial from you if, to really get that deepness you have to show your vulnerabilities yeah i actually Man, you just speak in my language, man, because I mean, I think about this a lot and I think it's a poverty. Um, we, we live in a sort of a, a poverty of intimacy, and I really think social media has almost made it worse, too. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, we're hungry. I mean, when I sit here at this table with I mean, you're, you're guest 40 something on here. And I mean, that's what I have sensed here at this table every time is people want to open up. They want to have a conversation that's deeper than just what's going on at work or, or what their schedule's like or how busy they are or just the, the cyclical 365 days a year holiday cycle, whatever it is. I mean, people are, I think, exhausted with that. Mm-hmm. And I think you start, we're starting, we're really seeing it, I think, out in the world. I, I think it starts in elementary school and middle school because those are the ages, like, like everything that I just said to you, I would never tell to an elementary school or middle school kid because you can't show your vulnerability at that age. If you go into class and show your vulnerabilities, you're going to have half the kids making fun of you and picking on you for Interesting, it. Yeah. And so uh, it, you have to learn, like when you're an adult, you have to learn who you can share those vulnerabilities to and who you can't. And typically it's going to be, you could share it with most people. Some people are still jerks, but when you're in elementary school or middle school, even the ones that are cool to you in a couple of months, they might be mad at you and then they're using it against you. Um, 
And so in elementary and middle school, we learn not to show our weaknesses. We, we learn um, that we almost have to put the suit of power on like Iron Man mm-hmm. and, and show that uh, that superficial side of things. And uh, then whenever we get to high school or college, a lot of people never learn to open up and take those suits off. Mm. And that's really about the ages where we can start to kind of trust people and do that again. Uh, and so that's one of the things that I try to do with kids is I try to teach them how to put that suit on but also how to know how to take it off um, which is a very hard concept so you do advocate to some degree you sometimes you do have to protect yourself you you kind of would say that right sometimes it's good to have that ability to oh definitely and i'm happy i know it Look, as much as I enjoy talking on Find the Good News about making a change, I'd be less than honest if I didn't admit that change is hard sometimes. I should get more quiet time. I should exercise more, walk more, sleep more. And the one thing that I know I should do without a doubt is eat better, healthier, and fresher. But there's a wide berth between knowing something and actually doing something about it. I love to cook, but just like those other should do's, I don't always make the time. This is where I have to tell you about Fresh Fuel because it takes procrastination out of my way. Fresh Fuel is a fresh take on getting healthy, wholesome, and satisfying foods in your life as a kickstarter to critical change that lasts. When you sign up for a Fresh Fuel program at thefreshfuel.com, you'll find tiers for your specific level of can't get up and go. I know I found mine. My friend and founder of Fresh Fuel, Megan Abraham, wants to do one thing and one thing only. She wants you and your family to eat healthier, delicious, home-cooked meals. That's it. With Fresh Fuel, Megan has taken all of the I can't do it out of putting better meals in front of the people you care about. And she's quick to remind that one of those people should include you. Go to thefreshfuel.com and choose the program that's right for you. Megan provides you with the recipes, supply lists, links, videos, goals, and very important here, access to the Fresh Fuel Facebook group where you can connect with other fresh fuelers, real people just like you and me, making the same journey. What I love most about meal prepping with Fresh Fuel is that you don't have to do it alone. Megan is right there with you every step of the way, making the same changes you are. Fresh fuel isn't a diet. It's a life change for those of us that just have trouble changing. Since I signed up for Fresh Fuel, I'm cooking more, eating better, and honestly, I'm feeling better too. I believe in Fresh Fuel so much that I asked Megan to offer Find the Good News listeners a chance to try it out at a discount. Just go to thefreshfuel.com, select one of Megan's signature programs, Fresh Fuel 28, the 28 Plus, or the 28 Pro plan, and then enter the code GOODNEWS to get 10% off your program. That's 10% off a Fresh Fuel signature program by visiting thefreshfuel.com and entering the code GOODNEWS. Fresh Fuel has been good news in my life, and I'm betting that thefreshfuel.com will be good news for you too. There are certain people that when you do show, they are vulnerabilities. I mean, that's why it is that word. And so if you show those vulnerabilities to the wrong person, uh, they will use it against you. In adulthood, there's a lot less of those people who will use it against you. And usually you're starting to surround yourself with people who won't use against you. They want to bond with you. But in uh, elementary and middle school, you kind of get thrown together with everybody. And uh, I mean, everybody's a jerk. I could think, I feel like I'm a good person, but I can think back to times in elementary and middle school where I betrayed somebody's 
sure i've done that too and, yeah uh and and so uh it's a very hard age <laughs> yeah it is it's hard to figure that out do you find is it is it similar when you're counseling an adult versus a kid where you'll see the same amount of time it takes to get either one to open up or is it or is it just different per person it's it's different per person i not to this kind of sounds kind of arrogant but i feel like that might be what my strength is my superpower the thing that i'm good at Uh is to be able to bond with people and to kind of figure out common common threads and uh and and i think that from that point on once i kind of have that um i don't even have to be the uh the most knowledgeable person or the best person but just because i understand them it's a lot easier to kind of get the therapy going yeah uh and then i talked a lot and i forgot what the actual question well just the difference (laughs) between adults and children because i mean i'm sitting here listening i'm thinking about myself Uh, of course that's only the person i hope i know best and i think you know, probably as a kid, I can see myself almost being, if I were went to counseling, which I probably should have when I was younger, um, I could see in my imagination me being very hard to open up at first and then warming up. But then I could see myself doing the exact same thing later in life as an adult. Yes. You know, so I'm going, well, I'm really, what's the difference between a kid needing that needs to feel comfortable more than an adult that needs to feel comfortable? Definitely building up rapport. That's a huge one. Um, With kids, with kids, it's different because it's almost like they don't really understand what the real problem is. Um, They, they really don't know. And, and so Mm. you just kind of, you're building a rapport with them and you're trying to work with them. And, and eventually they start telling you maybe some of the things that they see that's wrong and you Mm. can kind of deduce, Oh, this is actually what the problem is that's going on inside them with adults. They, do know but if you tap into it too quickly you don't see them again so that, that was another hard thing about uh counseling is uh whenever somebody come in the office a lot of early on a lot of times i could tell what the issue was and, and yeah if i get them to kind of bring it out in that first session i never see them again during that session they might feel pretty good but then whenever they go home they start thinking about oh i cannot believe i just told that guy that oh. they get really embarrassed they like some shame back. or something shit's like embarrassment or, or like vulnerability just kind of overwhelms them a lot of times uh i would find that or at least i i think that that would happen it could be they're just like i don't like that guy i'm not gonna go back <laughs> and see him but uh so so i did I, I learned and this is something that uh older counselors will uh, impart that wisdom upon us too uh, a lot of times we we do work on smaller issues uh because it allows the uh the person to build that trust up with the counselor uh, and so yeah if, if you're looking to go into counseling um that would be my advice is uh, if you're an adult, don't just start with your biggest problem first. Go in and, and start with some smaller stuff and see if you like how the counselor works with you and, and build that trust up with them. Counseling is just like any other relationship. Um, th- there's times where you could have the uh, two great people get together and you're like, oh, they're going to be like a power couple and then they don't make it. You know, and yeah. just like with counseling, you could have a great counselor and, and a great person. They just don't jive in, in a uh, relationship. And so if you do try counseling, try out different counselors and start okay. out. With, yeah. Try out different counselors. See who works best with you and uh, try out small issues and see how they handle those small issues before you jump into some of the big stuff. Yeah. But I think the problem is that sometimes we, we wait until uh, we're in this emergency mode. Yes. To, to go in and get help. And uh, it's very hard to build that trust up when somebody's in emergency mode because they feel like they're kind of backed into a corner. Sure. And they're really ready to strike at anything. Yeah. I've, I've I mean, this, full disclosure, that's actually the both, both the times in my life where I sought counseling were 
emergency mode situations. Um, you know, one was a relationship relationship situation, and the other was um, really depression. I mean, I was facing some hard depression, but. Um, I would say the second time was more of an emergency because I knew, I guess I had the wherewithal to know I, I need help. I'm thank God because I know people who don't have that yes. and I've seen it go f- way further. And uh, for me, I felt blessed, honestly, to have had just that, that moment of clarity where I said, okay, I, I can't do this alone. I can't, I'm not an island. I need help. You know, yeah, uh, it's hard. It's and it's difficult to feel weak like that. I mean, it's what I felt like. Like, oh, am I weak? But I got to had to get over that real quickly and just say, look, I can't do this alone. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, it, it's a lot of times in counseling. I had, one of my professors told me this and always stuck with me is people are coming to you for a reason that they're missing something in their life. They're either missing that person who pushes them or they're missing that person who's unconditionally nurturing or, or they're missing that person. Who they can just bounce ideas off of. Yeah. And, and it's your job to kind of figure out what it is they're missing. And the problem is that when you do wait to that, that moment, a lot of times the counselors kind of like you come in and, and they kind of get your personality and they might try to figure out, okay, I'm going to be a little bit tough with this guy. Ah. That might not be what you need at that time. Uh, a lot of it's uh, guesswork. And uh, so if you're in that emergency mode, it's awesome. You got that moment of clarity because I think a lot of people, uh, the counselor might kind of guess wrong and boom, you've just turned that person. Yeah, I can uh, see that. Kind of pushed them when they weren't ready to be pushed. Uh, it, one of the things we ask in uh, therapy is we'll ask if they've been in counseling before and then we'll ask what worked, what they liked ah. or what they didn't like. Uh, or some of the things that turn them off and uh, that'll give us an idea of what they're looking for what what they're needing yeah counseling to me was fascinating I mean the first time I went like I said it was an emergency mode but I definitely knew I had some things I need to work through and it's funny how going into counseling I you know you think you're so smart right you're like oh I'm going to counseling because of this if I had to write it down on paper I probably could have too I could say oh I'm coming to counseling because I, I think this not long after you're in counseling, for me anyway, it was like, oh, oh gosh, there's a whole other thing, side to this that I wasn't aware of. And once I became aware of it, honestly changed my whole world view. I learned a lot about myself that I was just going, wow, this has got me really scratching my head now. I need to really take start looking at all kinds of things that I wasn't looking at. You know, yeah. I had problem one or, or this one little um, goal here. But what I discovered was these all these dimensions to myself that were just lurking beneath the surface. Oh yeah, I mean every I think uh, the way that we measure intelligence is going to be really changed in the next few decades, in my opinion, um, because it's like everybody has a different. Uh, you know, we just say somebody's smart or somebody's not smart, but there's different realms uh, that, that our brains are good at. Uh, me, for example, I think when it comes to social issues and when it comes to uh, kind of the way people tick, I think I do have a pretty great intelligence when it comes to that. But when it comes to like uh, electrical things, mechanical things, it, it's it's even though I, I think I'm a smart person, that stuff is just kind of magical to me. Yeah. Uh, when I actually think about like uh, uh, 
vinyl record and how it has those bumps and grooves and you put it on and then all of a sudden the symphony comes out it's like well that's that's magic my brain cannot comprehend how any of that works my brain cannot comprehend how electricity works or radio waves um and so if you were going to measure me from that way then i'd, I'd be an idiot but when you measure me from uh the point where, where like social intelligence and things like that i think i would come out uh, pretty well uh and so uh i think i think most people uh you know when they they get they say that smart people are hard to counsel. I would change that and say people who think they're smart are hard to counsel. Um, and it's because they haven't come to that realization that there's realms that they don't have this vast intelligence in. And then there goes back to that vulnerability, being able to allow somebody else to kind of take control and uh, kind of help guide you through those things. Um, Man, I, I, I've got a big question for you. I, okay. I saw a news article um, the other day. Uh, a month ago or so, and I saw that the Dalai Lama has been working on this this whole big series. It's he's calling it his gift to humanity, and he's basically giving that created this for any education system or society that's dealing with any kind of. Um, they're just seeing sort of a fracturing of society. It's basically like something they can start teaching children in school. It's not religious. It's not spiritual or anything like that. But he's basically saying that we are not teaching the young of this world. Um, emotional intelligence and he said you know that is what we need more than anything in the world right now and, and I wonder what you think about that do you think that you know we, as, a, as a child you know you're in kindergarten you're five years old you, you stay in high school till you're you know 17 18 years old do you think that the school systems could benefit from having a dimension that is emotional intelligence education definitely um, it, it's hard I, everything's got that yin and yang to it um because there's there's going to be some people who uh, you know school, school school doesn't teach that but then parents teach it and there's going to be other ones where uh, schools teach it and the parents don't teach it and then the kid doesn't get it right um, and then on the other sense uh, you might go way on the other end of the spectrum where you're teaching most of the emotional stuff and not a lot of the technical stuff and then some of the parents will teach it at home but then other parents won't cover it and so I think that it's kind of like that what we were talking about earlier about how with counseling uh, it's it's trying to help people find that balance um i think that's the problem with society is that we we rarely go for that balance um it's always one end of the spectrum or the next um it's either we're trying to be really conservative or trying to be really liberal um Hmm. and i'm probably about to have those people that hate centrists (laughs) a lot of (laughs) mean things about me but um sorry but uh but that's kind of um i I do think that our society has kind of gotten to where yeah the emotional side isn't really being as uh pushed in some things when it comes to other things we're probably better off than society's ever been in this country whereas uh when when i was growing up um you know we were learning about people in other countries and so we i think i think our generation has this uh value that we see in people's lives in other countries mm. even ones that we would consider vastly different than ours that previous generations maybe didn't see them as human yeah. as we do uh we're also very uh you know um very compassionate our generation as a whole when it comes to lgbt than other generations and so when it comes to some things we do have this emotional understanding connections that other generations didn't but then when it comes to uh you know those i guess it would be kind of like trying to um i think what we were thinking of is kind of like that in tuneness with nature that spirituality yeah 
Um, but but then again, there, there's times where we are a little bit better because you have uh, the, especially in like the East Coast and West Coast, you have those kids that are really getting into uh, Buddhism or yoga, sure, and spirituality in that sense. Um, so it's a it's a very interesting it's a it's a very large broad yeah question. I guess the reason I, I think of it so often is a lot of times it's just when I'm doing homework with my kid, I think about the energy we're putting into, um, you know, just Common Core math for instance. I mean, elementary level Common Core math. You know, I'm going okay. We're putting a lot of energy into this. I just when you look at what's stacked up in front of a kid every day as far as the school system goes, I go. There's all these things, but is there anything that's teaching them how to deal with conflict yeah. um, or how to speak to each other? Now, granted, yeah. I'm not talking about a little, the, the little, you know, be kind to your neighbor and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we all hear that stuff, but I'm talking about like an actual, you know, program. I don't know. In my mind, when I saw that news article, I was like, man, this is actually interesting. I was like, I just wondered what would happen in a school system or a society if there was an emotional intelligence dimension that was being taught, just like the way we say you take algebra one, algebra two, you take this, you take this, just for your mind's health. That's a that's a very good point. Um, and and I haven't gotten to the Common Core math yet. My kids are just now passing <laughs> kindergarten, it's a so different. yeah, so it's about to uh, really hit hardcore next year, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, generally, uh, people. I get the kids after they've had the social issues. Um, a lot of times, we're, we're looking at elementary kids. It's like, man, I can't wait till you guys can join band or join choir or something like that and get this social aspect going. But even those social aspects don't really kick in until high school, and by then, a lot of kids are already kind of feeling like they're left out, and, and so that that's why they come into the counseling session. Uh, and so, yes, uh, the school could definitely benefit from putting some more uh, something in, and it teaches that social aspect, social understanding. Yeah. Um, and that's not to blame teachers or schools. Oh, no, because absolutely I know not. I mean, they're victims to, to a large degree. They're pretty much getting told what they have to right. teach. And exactly. And when you look at what they're being told, that, that already fits more hours than they can actually put into the day. Uh, yeah. And so... Um, but yeah, they could definitely benefit from it. Um, and even, even over we deal with bullying, uh, the, one of the main things that we tell kids when it when it's bullying is you go tell a teacher and that's actually one of the worst things you can tell a kid to do because as soon as that kid gets bullied and they go tell a teacher now they are the social pride because they're the snitch mm. um and whereas in, and it's instead of teaching kids how to deal with bullying or uh even teaching kids how not to bully uh right is something that you know it's not it's not something that's ever covered in school yeah. unless well, it's like an extra program you're hitting into like the value of the other kind of stuff you know if <laughs> we can teach that not just at home but in school too that would be really wonderful because i mean yeah bullying i have one of my children was bullied severely for years and years and years luckily came through the other side but i won't say unscathed i mean not 100 percent. it's definitely changed the way they interact with people it's it's i can see character traits that just come from that i mean the way they interact socially <laughs> and I, I, I they've been through you know every school had the, the the bullying days bullying awareness and all those things and i went to the school and interacted with the faculty you know what can we do those types of questions so it wasn't like I was just a standoff parent, but at the same time, I've had that thought. I thought, you know, if we don't start somewhere along the way, putting information in front of kids about how to value the other, 
on a day-to-day basis, then we're always going to have these anti-bullying mm-hmm. programs. We're always going to have anti-sexual harassment. We're going to have to continue to have these sub-programs that are always coming up to slap Band-Aids and catch them on the other end Right. if we don't catch them on the front end somewhere. <sighs> well, let's see. I, I, I hesitate saying this because this is a book idea I have. And so... Can, can we make the listener sign a waiver that they're not going to steal my book idea? <laughs> Don't steal his um, book. If you're listening to this, you've already... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Especially you, <laughs> you, Danny Elaine. I know that you'd be the person who goes after this idea. A so comic book version from. of your book. Oh, it's a D&D thing. Oh, so see. He's be the one that, so you and Dan... Yeah. Okay. All right. Now we're getting into this. Yeah, good. See? Good. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, I, I was talking with a client. I, I think the thing that would be really hard to do in schools is I was talking with a client and I haven't really gotten to flesh this idea out yet. So there might be some flaws here. People might come back and make fun of me. But um, we were working with what strategy a kid could use when they're being bullied. And so, like, one of the uh, big strategies that was going around, I think it was going around the internet, is uh, you look at the person like they're an idiot and you just say, okay. And I use that a lot with uh, autistic kids. And so, like, if somebody comes in and they're like, hey, you're stupid, they just look at them like they're dumb and say, okay. Kind of like that. Like and you just try to show no emotion. I gotcha. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that's what, that's something that can work. And then I had this one client who, uh, she's kind of like me and, uh, she's very, uh, quick witted, very animated. And, and she has a husband who's, who, uh, is, is kind of has that engineering mind. And so she was trying to teach her kid how to be quick witted and, and, and give those quick comebacks. Cause that's good too, you know? Um, and, uh, her kid just, he was getting a little bit better at, but he wasn't able to grasp it. And so I kind of suggested that. Okay. One. And that's when it kind of hit me that every kid is different. Um, and so it's kind of like in D and D you have some people who are, they're just, they're just more made to be the tank. Right. And then you have the other people who are more designed to be the, the ranger or, or the, uh, the range weapon person. And then you have the fighter and, and the, uh, the magician and the, uh, you know, the healer and each kid has this different personality. And, and so I think the problem is, is that if we, if we start to come up with this curriculum where we're like, Hey, uh, this is what a tank would do. And we, we could try to teach the kid that this is what you do. You just sit there. Cause the tank would be the one that looks like an idiot and says, Poker, you know, just kind of yeah. takes the hit. Um, and so, if we start teaching the person who's a healer to do that, they're still going to go home and have that emotional trauma from what happened to him and uh whereas uh if the rogue would be probably the one who's got that more quick-witted and tries to hit the kid back with something even worse um and so if we're teaching them to be the tank uh that that's another thing they're gonna go home and they'll be like man i should have said this i should have said this i should have said this um and so i'm thinking uh maybe about trying to come up with some sort of curriculum that has uh maybe you'd take kids uh kind of like their subtype and come up with a strategy for each subtype kind of like defining uh trying to figure out what what category your kid fits into and then what would be the best strategy for them to deal with bullying that way it kind of fits into their personality dude i'm loving this i'm telling you my mind (laughs) is spinning over here listening to you talk because what you're describing to me is um I don't know how to let me see if I can think of the way to say this. Like I've always had this feeling or this belief that when there are ill ills in the world, something will rise up in some capacity or another it, it, mm-hmm. it, to, to quell it and change things. And, and it and if we look back, it's kind of like Joseph Campbell's work. He says, if you look back, you're going to see the hero archetype over and over and over again. 
What you're describing is interesting because it reminds me a little bit, and this is, again, people are probably going to hate this, but like tarot. And then also um, Tibetan Buddhism, they have the bodhisattvas, right? And so if you start reading that, there's. I used to always think, oh, the bodhisattva, he's compassionate. The bodhisattva looks at the ills of the world. As I got older and I started realizing, oh, wait, hang on. The bodhisattva has many faces and many arms and many hands, and there's something different in each hand. There are images of bodhisattvas that have fire in their eyes and two swords in their hands. And I was like, well, how is that compassionate? But as I started to understand, I was like, these are archetypes for basically something that we need at a time. And it's what you're describing over there. I'm listening. I'm going, this is so fascinating because that kids can relate to. And those archetypes are things that they can go, hey, I, I can embrace this. This I can take my part in the togetherness, basically, and, of the team. And I think that that's because uh, a lot of times I see, uh, you know, I, I I will get kids that that are, are um, being homeschooled, and, and that's a little bit of a hot topic. Um, I don't want to be the guy that comes out and says, "Don't homeschool your kids" and, and things like that. I'd but, love to hear what you think about it, though. I mean, yeah, um, I, I think that sometimes sometimes there's there's a there's a way homeschool done right. It involves a lot of socialization with other kids. Okay. Um, I rarely see it done that way. And so a lot of times you're having a kid who's having trouble with social issues and then you completely take them out of school. And now it's like, well, how are they even going to possibly learn their social issues? Yeah, now you they know, can't like, flex the social muscle. So it's even right. worse. Um, or, huh. or, or they'll hang out. They'll then try to hang out with. There's just not a lot in this area, and so they'll then either be hanging out with kids that are way younger than them, uh, that the family knows, or kids that are way older, and so they're really not able to connect uh, even then. Because, uh, because uh, what we said earlier, a lot of what we learn as kids is through role model, uh, mm. so, and they're watching the older kids on YouTube, and that's where that role model comes from. And so when you get taken out of school, you don't have that role model anymore. Now homes. Homeschool can be a beautiful thing if you're getting that socialization and if you're connecting with other parents that have that that uh, that social getting that social aspect in uh, and that way they're getting different situations uh, that they can face. But um, let's see, where do we go? What was even the question? Well, you were talking about just uh, <laughs> the off. archetypes, you know, oh, the, yes. the team the team aspect, and yeah, and I really need to flesh that out a lot. And if somebody did want to steal that from me, if you're the type of person that could put a book together and be a little bit, maybe we could team up. You know, you do most of the work, I'll give you my ideas. You do like a <laughs> idea split. man, there you go. but yeah, yeah, I'm the idea guy that doesn't have a lot of time. But um, but uh, yeah, uh, and so it's it's finding. I think it helps a lot too because a lot of times the 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 parents maybe never really understood how to deal with it themselves and so you have these parents especially gamers right who uh never really figured out how to deal with the bullying themselves and so uh doing something like that that goes like a D approach to it will be able to connect with the parents a lot of times your kid doesn't have your personality they might have the personality of your brother or your sister or someone else in the family it could be somebody completely different and so you're sitting there trying to tell them the strategies that work for them but they're a completely different uh subtype and uh just doesn't work and and then i also think that each kid could learn what the different subtypes do because you might be the rogue but then one day you wake up and you're just feeling kind of tankish that day and you know being able to know how that is and understand it uh 
helps a lot. Um, and, and then a lot of times when we do that education, uh, so if I'm sitting here educating a kid who has a predisposition to be a bully on how to deal with bullying, it kind of educates them a little bit on maybe you shouldn't bully kids. Yeah. Uh, and so just by teaching that also kind of prevents it a little bit. Yeah. So are you using that at all in your counseling methods? The, I, the I was on vacation uh, last week in Pensacola. And it was sitting on the beach in Pensacola talking with a client that had an emergency situation that this idea came up. So uh, <laughs> this just happened. Wow. This is, this is new. This is fresh. And so I've used it with one person. And I, I guess I kind of used it in, in a sense um, because it was I knew the, the kids. And I knew what strategy would work for them. And so I'd be using that. And so this is kind of the first time that I started to kind of like connecting it to yeah. D&D or, or things like that. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I'm thinking about all these things from my childhood now <laughs> listening to this. I'm thinking about comic books, honestly. Yeah. And, and how I've seen this over and over. I was watching some kind of documentary. I don't remember what it was. It was about Batman, but I can't remember what the title of it was. Anyway, there was something in there. They were talking about comic book characters that are, as archetypes. And you had all these guys coming on there and, and girls, too, who are saying, you know, I uh, I was picked on in school or I was bullied or I was just what didn't fit in with the crowd. But I could whatever was going on in my life, I could go in there and read the comic book, you know, and then I could relate to that character. And then I learned right and wrong. I learned a sense of justice and, and, and how that you should help people. If you have powers, you should you what are gifts or whatever they are, you should yes. use them for the for the world. And I love that. I was like, yep. man, I actually remember watching that and I could just little tears just coming outside my eyes. And my wife was like, are you sad? It's just, it touches a part of my, of me as a child that I remember what these guys are saying. Yeah. I recall. And, and then that. the salt in the open wound is that these jerk offs that were bullying us are now taking their kids to watch the movies that <laughs> helped us get over the things that it they were doing. Cool. To us. It wasn't cool. It wasn't cool. Yeah, right. No, it wasn't as it wasn't. You're right. I mean, I find that it is kind of funny. Yeah. I've told my kids the same thing. I said, gosh. What a golden age of uh, yeah. film this is. I said, now it's like the the big box office thing. I said, but, you know. They're essentially coming into our, our safe zones. You know, we, we had the safe zone of our comic book. We get escaped into our comic <laughs> right. book. And now it's like, I don't want to go see the new Avengers movies. There's going to be a bunch of jerks there that made fun of me in high school. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. Even the, even the lean of comic books started getting a lot darker in the 90s. And then, really, the movies, some of the DC movies were getting darker. And it really, I remember... And I, know, I hope we're not. I hope I'm not segueing too into too <laughs> off, you know, a rabbit trail too far. But I remember when um, Man of Steel was coming out, and yes. I'm so Superman. Oh, yeah. I've always been a big Superman fan. The ESPN Superman movie is like the highlights. They just kind of yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> and I was like, this is. I, I remember watching the trailer for that, and I kind of got that little goosebumpy feeling. The music was good, and I felt like tears in my eyes. I said, Wow, I get to live to see a modern really well put together Superman movie. And when I went and watched it, I actually cried in that movie because I disliked it so much <laughs> because I was yeah. like, it, it was very dark and destructive and I didn't get the feeling. And I think I was wanting the Donner Christopher Reeve. Like he's the good guy. It I had wanted no that. story to it. It really was like, it's like they made a six hour movie and then they took a highlight reel and just, and went, that was bam, 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 bam. action clips. Yeah. It hurt my heart a little bit. I know that seems silly, but I mean, I found such a good space in Superman's character when I was a kid, the idea of a, um, a being who, you know, was basically a refugee mm -hmm. and, you know, 
was raised by just these people who cared for him. He couldn't have anybody, and he and he didn't turn bad. He didn't use his power to gain money or you know fame yeah. or wealth. He just helped people, and I just loved that idea. And uh, I found a space for it in my heart, I guess you'd say. And so then to watch <laughs> that, I went, "Ooh, I guess I know." And I'm adult enough to know it was an interpretation, but I just. I think I wanted to go back in time and be touched again, like in my heart, you know, with yeah. that character. And I didn't get it, so it kind of. I I, I can know. I can totally see what you're talking about. I was a little bit more partial to superheroes named Bruce's growing up. Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, 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 it makes so, sense. <laughs> yeah, I guess there wasn't a lot of Orans out no, there. No, very <laughs> few. Mm, <laughs> yeah. That's right. It was a Parker though. I mean, oh yeah, I got the yeah. Peter Parker thing a lot when I was a kid. Uh, that's the other thing too is I don't really, I never liked the Avengers. Really, the Avengers were always like the square. You know, superheroes. Oh, okay. yeah, I was yeah, like yeah. the X Men kid, yeah, and so like, yeah. and then I was in the Spawn when I got a little oh, older. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and so like, yeah, the Avengers were like what the older kids were into. That was like that was like their square little thing, and so and, and the X Men movies are just so bad. And I'm happy. I know You're driving down the road. Everything is going just fine. You're listening to the new episode of Find the Good News in Your Car, and you're all stoked about trying out this zipper merge thing you've been hearing about. When all of a sudden you hear that sickening tap on your windshield that's just a little too loud. I've got some bad news for you. You've just got yourself a rock chip. Unfortunately, I've got some worse news. If you don't take care of that rock chip, it's going to turn into a crack. But I do have some good news too. You don't have to have a rock chip or a crack because I've got a way for you to take care of it ASAP. If you go to ASAPGlassCo.com right now, you can stop that chip from winding across your windshield like the Calcasieu River. I used to be terrible about getting a rock chip, saying I'll take care of that later, and then later turns into this irritating crack that just spreads from one side of my windshield to the other. I should have taken care of it ASAP by scheduling a repair with ASAP Glass. ASAP Glass is local, right here in Sulphur, Louisiana, and they're mobile. Even better, you can get a quote right from your mobile phone at asapglassco.com. ASAP Glass is owned and operated by two of my best friends, lifelong friends, Dan and Kayla Smith. Dan the Glass Man will make sure his team of glass technicians gets to your job ASAP and make sure it's done right so you can keep that windshield crack out of sight. If you do get that rock chip and you don't take care of it ASAP, that's okay. ASAP Glass does complete windshield replacements. Remember, ASAP Glass is mobile, so you don't have to worry about finding time to drop your vehicle off at their shop. You get your quote at ASAPGlassCo.com. Make your appointment with Kayla, and then before long, an ASAP Glass van is on its way to your location. That's it. I know you're probably looking at a rock chip right now. Don't wait. Take care of it ASAP. Go to ASAPGlassCo.com on your mobile device and get a quote. That's ASAPGlassCo.com. And make sure to tell Dan and Kayla you heard about ASAP Glass on Find the Good News. There's something missing in the story. I don't know what it is. Marvel really captured. Yeah. They've always been good at that, and they really did that with those a lot of those movies, I think, where you felt the person. Like, that's... That's what I was always looking for, the heart inside of the suit, you know? Yeah. Not just like, okay, he's got cool powers, but like there's a person there. They had, like, I think some of the best movies, like Spider-Man Homecoming was, that was wonderful, amazing. Man. And it's because of that, like exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. They actually had the character. The character grew, uh, and and they gave you his background. And, uh, yeah, that movie was amazing. Um, 
But a lot of the other Avengers movies, uh, short of Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Thor Ragnarok, see anything Taika Waititi does, I'm yeah. very much into. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the the Captain America movies never didn't really excite me much. Um, uh, Logan, I felt like, was probably the worst enjoyed, movie I've ever seen. I enjoyed seen. You didn't like Logan? Did the, the old man Logan? It was, it was like a X-Men movie for Radiohead fans. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not a Radiohead fan, so I just couldn't. That's funny, man. Oh, yeah, Logan. I, yeah, but, but maybe maybe that'll change once that uh, you know that franchise is brought back under the. I think I'm done with Wolverine too. I, I don't want. I there was have, a, we've been fed yeah. a lot of it. Though. I'm glad you do this in a month because otherwise people will be busting down the door. But yeah, I, I want my Gambit. I want Gambit, and I want him done right. Not so much Tatum uh, <laughs> doing it. I, I want my Gambit done right. And I want Wolverine kind of put it more of as a background character. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know it's interesting. There's what we're talking about gets into the, all the other stuff that we've talked about before. I mean, we like Spider Man, right? <laughs> I mean, and we see Spider Man and. and as the viewer, we get the glimpse under the mask. Now, when, when we we would we like Spider Man as much if we didn't know Peter Parker? Would we like Superman as much if we didn't know Clark Kent? Would we like Batman as much if he were just this guy we heard about in the news that was, you know, he, he in, if if you look at it from a not knowing the the guy under the mask perspective. He's just a shadow that shows up yeah. and beats up on villains. Spider-Man's way off in the distance, and he caught some bad guys. Superman swoops in, saves the day, and he's gone. You know, and you saying that, well, I should answer your point first. I, I definitely agree with you. Peter Parker, for sure. Batman, Batman's a little bit of a weird one because he puts off that jerk persona. Everybody always complains about, like, oh, Ben Affleck's such a tool, and he's going to be uh, playing Batman. Well, Bruce Wayne's supposed to be a tool, so it's actually a perfect casting. Yeah, I think uh, Batman's a, so, a major broken guy. Yeah, like that's the character. <laughs> but but kind of going back into some stuff you were saying earlier, it's like it's like everything the movies are trying to do nowadays is they're trying to make the bad guy sympathetic instead of actually fleshing out the the good guys. All the backstories are about why the evil villain who's committing these genocides are so uh, sympathetic, and right. that is what our society. It, it's like uh, man. Still, I felt like was written for people who already know the story of Superman, and so they didn't tell the story of Superman. But what what they're doing is they're telling the kids why this person is so uh, angry, why this villain is the way he is. Uh, Would they have that new Joker? Yeah, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, and so it is. It's 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 teaching our kids and our teenagers. This is why the villain is understandable. It's like, should we really be doing that? (laughs) Yeah, no, I see what you mean. (laughs) Yeah, how much how much sympathy for the devil do you want to have right i mean yeah and, and that's degree. that pendulum that society always kind of has and yeah see that's yeah. like interesting like uh, breaking bad was another one of those shows that kind of did that really well where mm. but but on the but with that show i don't think i ever what i got from it ultimately my biggest takeaway was that you know um you don't need to have a lot of sympathy for this guy because he actually is a pretty bad dude. He's done a lot of bad things. I mean, you yeah. start off with a little bit of sympathy and you can say, well, I can see how somebody could go here. But ultimately, that story is just a big tragedy. It's never, it's not a story where you're like, oh, I could totally become that. Hopefully, if you do say that, <laughs> right. then uh, you can call 337-478-1411. It's New Horizons Counseling Center. We'll be happy to work with you. Um, yeah, that's definitely not a path you want to take. I mean, that's a story of watching somebody fall down, not stand up. Yes, yeah. 
Yeah, that was a great show, though. It was great. It was. I, I do see what you mean, though. I, I kind of feel like that, too. I think that we want our good guys to look more like bad guys. I, I really think, I hope that we see a change in the world like that, because I even think right now, and God, this is going to sound political. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. But I think we're starting to do that. We're starting to go... Hey, I like the I like a loud mouth. I like somebody who says mean things. I like we we need to celebrate somebody who's you know got a lot of gusto and bravado and machismo. Yeah. And and I go well, I don't know because if we start celebrating that and we start saying that's okay, yeah, then that's what all our heroes are going to start looking like, and a lot of people are going to want to emulate that. Yeah, I mean know? even politically, I mean we're at the point where uh, people who are saying hey, let's be a little bit more rational and let's try to find common ground. Those people are now being ostracizes sure sure and it's like whoa what is what is going on we're now hating the people who want to make compromises um, yeah yeah and uh you know you even see stuff where they're like uh centrist or even worse than the people on the other end of the political spectrum from me and it's like how is that even yeah. how do you think that way um but that's actually a really great segue into plugging your show because uh that's one of the one of the other things i do with therapy is i really like um music therapy and art therapy uh and and, and uh, somebody who's licensed in art therapy and music therapy will probably be like, man, you're just using the surface of what we do. Um, art art therapists and music therapists are really great at, at what they do, and so I do I do kind of take some surface stuff from them, and that's that you surround yourself with positivity. People do need to start surrounding themselves with more positive uh, media, and uh, and so whenever you sent the invite for the show, I was like, man, that's a great. That is an awesome message for a show to have. This is exactly well, thanks, what man. it needs. Um, and Glad then, to hear you say that. Yeah, and, and this is what I push on my clients all the time. I'm very much a ska punk uh, person. I don't know if any, <laughs> any of you people out there listen to Less Than Jake and, and some of those other ones. And, and I don't, you know, I always have this kind of bubbly, happy personality. And I don't know if that attracts me to bands like less than jake or if it's less than jake that's kind of made me bubbly and happily but i'm definitely a firm believer in uh that what we what we kind of make ourselves listen to or watch is going to affect the moods that we're in and uh and so a lot of these darker movies coming out or, or like the darker political stuff that people are getting into you see these people are generally very unhappy and angry and they have a lot of negative emotions and uh and so it is it's trying to surround yourself with more positive uh yeah 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 <laughs> I, we watched this weekend um um black klansman by yeah. spike lee have you seen that movie Great movie. I love that movie. That was yeah, a that was wonderful a, movie. That was a good man. movie. But what really, my, my teenage son, I let him watch it with us because he's, he's got an activist heart, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I said, you should watch this with us. And man, he was like, Dad, I don't know. I don't know if I can listen to the things they're saying. I said, well, I said, unfortunately, that is how people talked. Mm -hmm. And I said, and actually, unfortunately, people are talking like that again. Yes. You know, and I said, and this is why I think it's good. Sometimes it's good to watch a, a story like that to remind yourself, like, that is out in the world, and your best weapon against that is to not be it and to just feed yourself information that, that connects you with other people and lets you see the other as just as valuable as you are in the human race. And I said, because, you know, what's happened to these guys in this film is they've clustered together and they're, they're just sort of self-feeding. Like then it's this sort of battery that's just looping in on itself. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Becoming more rabid and more, uh, shut off. 
mm-hmm. you know, and that's all the information they want is what they allow in, and that's it. It becomes self. And, and, and that's segregation in a nutshell. You know, a lot of like if people tried to tell us things growing up about uh, people that were different than us, and we're sitting there, they're in our classroom, and, and these people that have skin color that's different, and they're saying these things, it's like, that's dumb. They're in our classroom. We can see that's different. But whenever you have that segregation happen, you know, you start telling these stories, and people actually believe it you know they actually believe that there are these differences and it's like um yeah yeah. i remember um i remember when my kids were younger my little girl my little girl when she's not a little girl anymore she's a woman now but i remember her coming home from school and i remember my wife said uh, asked her if there were any black kids in class you know because we lived in a town that had kind of some racial issues at the time and she said well how many black kids are in your class and i remember this my little girl looking at her like confused by the question and she was like i don't know what do you mean black kids and my wife was trying to explain what she meant and she was like well there's this kid and she's brown though and then there's this little girl and (laughs) she's got blonde hair and i was like this is and i remember thinking how fascinating how much how we can change generation generation she didn't know what that question meant yeah she was going that's a color what does that have to do i don't know if there's any kids that are black yeah but there's a brown girl and this girl has yellow hair you know it was just like it was fascinating to me and i said man wouldn't that be interesting if we all and, and were I think, like that <laughs> and I, I think i have i have the problem of going a little bit to the other end of the spectrum i i went to uh still go to a church that is predominantly white and uh i think uh whenever a uh, black family would come in they'd be like why is that kid staring at us so creepily and if anything I was like man I want to go really welcome and I really want to make sure that they want to stay here and and, uh, and, and I, I noticed uh, I actually got to counsel uh, some transgender clients okay. and, and now they have a person at the office who actually has a specialization they, they work with transgender clients and so I don't have as many anymore but uh, I think I, I had that tendency to do the same thing there is that it's like I wanted to be a little bit too welcoming come on a little bit too strong like oh yeah hey yeah and uh and they're probably like man this guy's creepy like what's he doing um and, and so uh yeah it, it really is interesting how uh I, my hope is that uh as as the younger generations do get get older and kind of take over that uh a lot of that stuff's gonna I mean, it'll never go away, but just get better to where, uh, you know, it is not even abnormal to have somebody of different, um, you know, whether it's LGBT or, or whether it's different skin colors, nationalities, religions, uh, being around you. I think in this area, we have such a, uh, disparity in religion um so it's hard to find uh it's really hard to connect yourself with people of a hindu faith or a muslim faith and uh and and so we almost have a little bit of a segregation happening there not not that not that we're uh it's being forced but there's just not a a lot of that yeah we don't have a lot of diversity you're right no it's true i've always kind of struggled with that living in this area because my interests have always taken me outside of what would be considered the standard around here you know, which I'm just going to throw Christianity as the blanket word. But even under that umbrella, there's so mm-hmm. much variety. But um, if you're interested in something that's outside of that, really books are traveling outside the area or clustering up with maybe just the few individuals that have common interests are around the in the area. That's that's really all you're going to get. You know, yeah. You find, you know, um, uh, a Zen center in Lake Charles or rotten, at least not to my knowledge, you know, no, exactly. Or, you know, a Hindu um, temple or anything like that. And I'm happy 
I know it. Do you ever hear a good song on the radio that just moves you? Maybe it stirs your heart, but then it starts to move your body too? Do people around you say things like, you've got rhythm, or where do you get your energy? Well, I've got a secret for you that might be your dance coming out, and the Whistle Stop Dance Sport might be just the job your dance is looking for. I know your first thought, but I don't have any dance experience. That's one of the good things about this opportunity. You don't need years of dance experience to do it. What Whistle Stop Dance Sport is searching for is a multi-dimensional talent. What does that mean? Okay, I'll tell you. You see, dance goes far beyond formal training, though that is a plus. Being able to dance means you can take life by the hand and let it put one arm around your waist and move to the rhythms that flow your way. To be a dance instructor at Whistle Stop Dance Sport, you'd need to have experience working with children, good rhythm, positive energy, and a personality for people. Dance Sport works to enrich children's lives by offering social, emotional, behavioral, and cognitive skills that naturally build confidence. Through dance, these children develop self-esteem, express themselves creatively, and strengthen critical thinking skills. Does the thought of affecting young lives in a positive way stimulate your mind, your heart? Do you want to do something that matters? Something that could really change the course of a young person's life? Then maybe that's why you heard about this dance instructor position with Whistle Stop Dance Sport. You can send your resume or letter to Whistle Stop Dance Sport. 1518 18th Street, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 70601. That's 1518 18th Street, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 70601. Training dates for this position start in July 2019. So if you feel you may be right, don't wait to send in your resume. If you'd like to hear more about this position, call Whistle Stop Dance Sport at 337-515-7577. That's 337-515-7577. And if you do call, do me a favor and let them know you heard about this on Find the Good News. Yeah, and uh, it's I, I wish that we could be at the point where my kids don't even uh, see a turban and uh, say to them, Hey, Dad, why is that guy wearing a turban? I kind of wish it'd be to where it, it just isn't even weird to him but nowadays if we did see somebody wearing a turban i'd have to be like hey guys that's their religion yeah and this is the, you know something and uh i wish i didn't have to explain that it's funny because this is another comic book sci-fi type answer for this that mm -hmm. I, I thought of when i may have even talked about it on the show but i said you know when i was a kid i would watch star wars and i loved it right so i mean mm -hmm. i'm five six years old and so seeing a human interact with a tall seven foot tall hairy guy and then you know, granted, the hero's the blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy, but, you know, his mentor is a little short green guy with pointy ears. And then when they go all into a room together, everybody's different. They're different races. They're different creatures. That was very normal. Mm -hmm. And so in my head, I guess, as a kid, I thought, well, that's sort of the way it ought to be right these people all live together and do together and they're all just different together from different places but nobody's yeah uh, angry at another group yeah or, or uh exactly i think that's why uh nerds well, i was about <laughs> to say i was about to make this horrible comment of nerds maybe uh have inclusion down rather than other people but there's also a lot of bigotry in nerdism so uh that would be <laughs> The most untrue statement I could have said. Um, or Star Trek Discovery is... Oh, sure. There you go. Yeah. See, I, I'm a Trekkie. Star, okay. Star Wars is okay. But, I mean, it, it's not it's not anywhere near in the galaxy of Star Trek. 
Trek. Star Trek's just amazing. But you get a different, yeah. you get a different <laughs> social structure too in Star yeah. Trek too. I mean, um, a utopia type atmosphere as far as the. And I've Earth. always been, I've always been Star Trek first, and Deep Space Nine is like my favorite one. But uh, Star Trek Discovery to me is like maybe one of the best Star Treks that's ever been put out there. That show is amazing. I haven't gotten to the second season yet, so I, I might be. Uh, Maybe I'm saying something, and then the second season just totally bombs. Then I change my mind. But uh, and in that show, it's there's a lot of female lead ah. in that show. Just a lot of women uh, leading and women of color, and it's done in a way where it like to me like when people are talking to me about it, it's like oh I didn't even notice you know like they it's you know and um it, it's very it's it's just very good that they can kind of pioneer that and uh i don't pioneer that but there's probably other shows that have done that too but uh it's just really cool that they can uh you know they yeah. have that inclusivity and uh and and that's kind of what well it gives you doing. an idea that maybe i mean you know granted who knows but it gives you this idea that hey you know maybe at some point in our future we, we can get over some of these things right. that are causing division right 24 that's uh, the 24th century and women are actually allowed on starships you know like <laughs> I think that they actually had in the uh, the original series, they actually did have a statement like that, that women couldn't be captains in, in Starfleet. Oh, really? And so, so it's uh, basing that on the culture of the time. Yeah, so that, that was done in the 60s. And to, to be fair, Star Trek has always pushed uh, progressive views and have always kind sure. of pushed that. But that that's something they even had in the original series. that uh, they I think they made that statement that women couldn't be captains. And So who was yeah. it the other day? We were talking about <laughs> Star Trek. Oh, my son came home, and I don't know, one of his teachers or something they were star trek came up and it said well you know um the creator of star trek was a utopian so i mean you really can't listen to what they what they say and i was like interesting that the idea of utopia is is thrown off it's another label to yeah. use to, to shut someone down it's like oh you're a utopianist I was like, that's so funny. We just gave a name. We just another nasty word to call somebody when it's, it's what, what utopia is not. Isn't that an ideal? Yeah, that, it's different. Um, they have, I think the term they use in uh, the Star Trek field when they're debating communism versus uh, capitalism is post-scarcity. So Star Trek uh, is supposed to be post-scarcity. They, post they have scarcity. these uh, replicators now, and so there's no more scarcity, and so it could be a utopian society because nobody wants it anymore. There's no Everybody need. Has their, yeah. their needs. And, and <clears> you know, when you start thinking about it, it's... Uh, uh, I don't know how I feel about it. On, on one hand, I love it. On one hand, I love the utopian society part of it. You know, nobody having to actually have to scrounge around to have food and, and to have basic needs, medical needs, things like that. On the other hand, being a counselor, it's it's really weird because uh, I, see, when I first started uh, in the psychology field, I worked at a Volunteers of America, which is a very, very great business. Um, it's probably one of the only places I've ever uh, seen that actually is... Uh, their heart's in the right place, and it's a nonprofit organization, and it actually is nonprofit, and everything goes to the people, and it's just a good place. So if you're donating money or time, Volunteers of America is a great place to do that too. But we would work with the lower income mentally ill, and so this would be a lot of the homeless population and people with schizophrenia, uh, not able to work, and and we'd get them connected with services. We get them in housing. We would provide housing. Uh, I was even a apartment manager at one point. We get them involved with doctors and medicine, and I'd never seen anyone make that leap of just self-fulfillment 
more than when they started volunteering or working. Mm. And so uh, the post-scarcity thing, it's like there's a lot of things that I love about it, but then there's a lot of things that scare me because we, we know how society is. You, you So there's going to be a lot of people. But I mean, I, that's how, you know, so the, part of it makes me afraid that it's going to take away some of that edge like Wally. You know, we're going to yeah, be humans, That's what I was thinking, right. Just yeah. like in Wally. But but yeah. I guess every society always has that yin and yang to it. And so we won't have people hopefully dying of starvation and diseases that can be cured but then you are going to have people that kind of take advantage of it in the wally sense and i guess having the wally people is better than having people starving to death so this is a good question yeah like if we if all your basic needs i mean this gets back to kind of this discussion that you're hearing right now about you know basic income you know for everybody like what would that look like what would a basic income for everybody look like and so you're going to so all base and all base needs are Mm -hmm. taken care of I guess the real question is, is if that were the case, do people get better or do they get lazier? I mean, like, right. I mean, is that if your needs are taken care of, do you just go, cool, I'm just going to relax? Or do you go, hey, I'm going to really use this time to to seek more and evolve the species? And I guess you're always going to have both. And so, um, yeah, um, but that is. And so that's going to be it's going to be really interesting what happens when we do get to that post scarcity uh, place. And at some point, will you know? I don't know if it'll be soon or it'll be far uh, advanced. But um, yeah, you know, it'll yeah. be interesting. Man, this has been a good conversation, man. It's a lot <laughs> of fun. It. I had no idea where we were going to go with this. Those are the best ones, right? I always oh, go yeah. off on really weird tangents. I don't think but. any of it was all that strange, though. I think it, it's just relevant. I mean, it makes me realize that, you know, as a counselor listening to you, it's like you're able to really uh, reappropriate anything, right? You can look out in the world, whether it be entertainment or whether it be something you see on the news or just an interaction you have with somebody there's probably some kind of juice to be squeezed out of that to be utilized in your profession that's what i try to do i have uh you, you have to do that so when i'm working with kids um i'm trying to find what they're paying attention to and so if if i have a, a girl who is uh, just being really mean to her siblings, but she's really into Disney princesses. Then I try to reappropriate that, and so we're going to mm. find a Disney princess that I want her to role model, role play. Uh, which actually, it's actually a bit harder than you think because Jasmine didn't listen to her parents. Ariel ran away <laughs> from home, uh, and so uh, but Sophia the First is one of the new ones, and she's a great one. Uh, and and a lot of times the kids watch that, and it's like, hey, be like Sophia the First. Um, would when it comes to boys, it's superheroes, and there it is again. You don't want your kid to emulate Wolverine. You don't want to be Iron Man, the drunk. Uh, so you <laughs> you pretty much left with Captain America. I mean, even even Spider Man's kind of a weird one because uh, he's such a wisecracker, and usually you're wanting your kids to not be like that. Right, so even right. Spider Man, you're not really wanting to emulate. And so uh, Captain America is one I use. Um, one that I've been using a lot lately with teenagers is My Hero Academia. Have you seen that anime? No, uh-uh. It's a great anime. Lots of kids watch. Watching it, and it's probably one of the most wholesome, just great messages I've seen in an anime. And so it's on Hulu. Uh, so if you're getting your kids into something, My Hero Academia is a great one. But but even I uh, even have an adult who. Um, hasn't been diagnosed with autism but probably should be that I've been working with a long time and he is obsessed with politics 
and uh, which which is a bad thing because he's obsessed with politics to a side that's not winning right now. I see. Okay. And uh, and so he's got a lot of paranoia and a lot of social anxiety, and it's just just negativity and depression. And so it is. I so, but that's his language. That's what he speaks. And so it's trying to find some way to appropriate. Wow that in, into that role and, and so that's basically what I try to do is I try to connect with people in their medium like, like we were talking about about doing the bullying thing with the D&D stuff I try to find the medium if a kid comes in he's really into baseball it's trying to find baseball analogies uh, that I can use to uh, to kind of help with that um, and so that, that's a hard one whenever you have somebody that's obsessed with politics and then uh, some of the other ones that have been a little bit harder is when I have kids come in and they don't really watch any TV shows they just watch YouTube oh and it's like so it's like where is that right? yeah i don't you, even you gotta know get... these people uh have almost no knowledge of this stuff and i don't know if any of them are good role models um so mm. yeah uh but that's generally, interesting man i didn't even yeah. think about that yeah trying to get your arms around youtube that's a yeah and, and so that but i'm trying to find a medium that i can work with the person in yeah basically. so that's interesting i mean as far as autism goes i don't know a lot about it technically and i hear the word a lot mm-hmm. but i've encountered people who i've been told have autism and so i guess that just looks very broad to me it, and that's so i don't fully understand sometimes it's because it's gotten very broad i w- would imagine within the next decade or so it'll probably get cramped back down um so so when we were kids it was uh like charters were everywhere right and it, it was so like it was like addiction was like the big thing and charters were everywhere and then they kind of brought that back down and then as we were growing up it was like 80 everybody was ADHD, yeah right, right right and and i'll tell you right now 80 percent of people diagnosed with ADHD are not adhd but then uh after that because uh, I was actually a band director for two years. Really? <laughs> I was the assistant band director at Sulphur High School. Oh, so wow. One of the head of the ninth grade campus. And uh, when I was teaching, it was uh, bipolar disorder. All the kids had bipolar disorder, right? And and so, uh, yeah, autism is kind of the big thing. They It, it really has kind of ballooned to, to encompass... Uh, like you know it, it's kind of ballooned to encompass even you know people that have minor social skills issues and i'll meet with the people it's kind of like these social skills issues are very minor and so uh i don't know if i would diagnose them with autism um the way the way the diagnosis works is you could just go around from doctor to doctor to doctor and so you could have nine people not diagnosed you with autism and then you find one that does um but there's definitely there definitely is autism and it's definitely an area that uh needs to be worked with it needs to be uh there there needs to be more funding put there i I work with a lot of adults that that have autism and uh when they're kids there's a lot of services for them and then uh, it's like once they turn 18 there's just not a lot so they can go to schools and they they have uh you know they have that social setting in schools and stuff like that and, and then they become uh adults and they might not be uh functional enough to be independent or or maintain a job and then now there's not really even social things that they can go and do and so a lot of times uh they might live with their parents or their grandparents and uh there's no 
outlet for him. Sure. And, and so uh, that's when we started doing D and D groups. Uh, okay. That was, and actually the the first. Uh, so I have almost no free time. When I do get free time, I try to game with my friends. We usually do those little one-hour games like Munchkin, uh, King of Tokyo. Uh, those little okay, board yeah, games yeah, now. yeah. Um, almost like Hero Quest back in the day yeah, when we were growing okay. up. Uh, and uh, so my, when I first started doing those groups, that was kind of my vision at first was doing those games with uh, adults with autism and kids with okay. autism. And so uh, we started doing this D and D group with autistic adults and, and autistic. Uh, children and uh, from there it kind of ballooned into now we have a uh, kind of a high school group for kids with anger management and ADHD issues wow, man. and we also have an adult group for depression that's kind of like a support group um, and so right now we have four groups we're talking about turning it into six because it keeps growing uh, and so uh, we basically are using uh, role-playing games to help uh, people with all kinds of issues. Why do you think the role-playing <clears throat> helps so much? I think when it comes to autism, I think that is one of the biggest aspects that uh, they, they might not have down. So when, when we as people... Uh, people that don't have autism uh, are kind of going through our day we put on different roles mm. and so when I'm a parent I'm playing this parent role and then when I'm doing a podcast this is actually my first podcast but I, I have my podcast hat right when I'm a counselor <laughs> I have a different I probably have different counselor hats for each client and even when I was a band director I had a different hat on and I think that's the difficulty that a lot of uh, people diagnosed with autism have is putting on those different hats and so uh, they literally just go through the day just wearing the same hat and a lot of them don't fit other situations. Ah, okay. And so uh, we start off kind of letting them make their own character. And they usually make a character kind of like themselves or what they want to be. And then uh, we start to kind of push them into characters that they wouldn't normally be. Interesting. So I might have a kid who is, uh, I say kid, I have I have a few that I've been counseling for like five or six years. And they're like 25 or 26, I call them my kids. Um, and uh, one who's obsessed with the macabre, very dark stuff, talks about suicide all the time and he's not suicidal but he just talks about it because that's just in his vernacular and so I might push him to become a priest healer who doesn't talk about that kind of Interesting. stuff and so it, it kind of gets him to uh, I might have somebody that talks all the time and then I give him a mute character Interesting. <laughs> or uh, have somebody who's not uh, who doesn't talk enough and have them be somebody who's kind of like the group leader maybe they're the bard yeah. or, or something where they have to talk a little bit more and so it teaches them how to put on those different hats all the while getting that socialization in because I, I do believe that socialization is probably one of the most important aspects to uh, our day to day life um this is interesting. So I can totally see how that could work. I mean, so if you're a person, even for somebody who doesn't have autism or whatever, you could, I can see the value in adopting an identity or taking on the traits of other, something you're weak in. Yes. I don't know. It's the only way I can think of it. Like if you're not a good public speaker, yep. you know, you can say, well, I'm going to play the part of a, of a public speaker and then I'm going to go out and do the things, but it's not me. I'm just playing the part. Yeah. And by playing the part, you're doing <clears throat> things that just rubs off on you. I mean, to some degree, I mean, you're, you're flexing muscles that you just didn't know you had. That's it. And, uh, and when I, when I envisioned this, when I first was thinking about it, I really wanted to get to the point where, uh, they were so comfortable. We were just this group and this close knit thing. And we were so comfortable that I wanted to start doing like, uh, maybe one weekend we would have like a, a social skills, skills 
scavenger hunt. And so um, the, the, one of the things on it might be that you have to go to a grocery store and ask an assistant for help finding something. And then another thing might be you go find somebody that you can assist in some way. And it's like this little scavenger hunt. So we'd split up into teams and go off and do that. And, and uh, little games like that. Um, so in school they teach us that a recovery environment your recovery environment is the people around you and they teach us that your recovery environment is very important and that you want to help your clients build that positive recovery environment and then that's all they say they kind of leave it at that and so when i when i first started working with the lower income mentally ill and so it might have been people that had learning disabilities or people that are homeless people that had been isolated for 20 or 30 years being this young kid that was ready to uh get them going again it was like well let's go make friends and so if you were a person who was very creepily approached at books a million between the years of 2009 2013 that's probably my fault i apologize <laughs> i was probably in the back somewhere pushing my clients to go <laughs> and introduce themselves to you and i apologize for that it, it's like a learning curve and so so I, we definitely learned that's not a good way to make friends um and so the the biggest factor of whether two people will become friends it's not um common interest it's not race it's not religion it's actually just proximity the more time you spend with somebody the more likely you will become close to him become a friend and once you leave high school and you don't have a job you don't have proximity with anybody yeah and, and so um that's the other thing that i really want with these groups is uh, a lot of my autism especially the adults uh they're so self-isolated that uh we actually have a group me chat where uh everybody's involved in it and so they actually get a little bit of socialization okay throughout the, the week from that um I can, you can see the value of being around people in so many different ways. Like I, I see people that I know that are close to me, not relatives or anything, but just people are in my life where you, you can see the patterns of isolation. And then the longer that isolation, um, stays that way it almost becomes self-perpetuating like they become even more isolated and then they drag other people into the isolation with them which really probably doesn't sound like isolation but it, but is, it could it, yeah. be like almost like a family mm-hmm. you, you brought up homeschooling and so like you could see these sort of things happening where it's like okay so now the kids are no longer in public school and now now they've shut their family out and now there's no relatives now there's no neighborhood friends it's just like this isolated little unit Mm -hmm. and it's just i don't know it just becomes more bizarre and a lot of times whenever uh those kids come to me for counseling the kids are doing they feel like they're adults and so they're either not listening to their parents they're becoming very uh, they either either they feel like they can do adult things and so they're kind of having arguments with their parents or or or, or it's just the the emotional regulation so uh, emotional regulation uh we learn from from school a lot of time. i mean really we learn a lot of stuff from school uh you uh you know if you have a three-year-old that's still using uh pacifier the thought is as soon as they start going to pre-k and see the other kids don't have pacifiers they stop using it and that's true that they, they, they see that very quickly uh, a lot of times pie training you might have kids who are pie training a little bit late as soon as they start going to school and they start seeing the other kids are pie training boom they yeah. pie train um especially speech there's a lot of kids that have a lot of speech delays and as soon as they start going to pre-k and they hear other kids speaking uh they start 
start trying really hard to speak with the other kids. I was just talking about this with my daughter. My daughter Mm -hmm. said, Guy, I remember you tell me this because I remember. So up till the time right before she started kindergarten, she spoke like this. It was just that. And I mean, I could, I knew what she meant, but it wasn't English. I don't know what it was. It sounded like some kind of little alien gibberish. Yeah. And when she gets to, to school, I was really sweating it. I was like, how, are, how is she going to communicate with kids? She hadn't really been around a lot of kids. I was worried. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember I tell everybody, I said, but she went to school. And it was like it magically, it was like someone waved a wand over her head. She started coming home, and I was like, where was this the whole time? And see, pre-K, Blew kindergarten, those are the best times to learn that. Once you start getting to third, fourth, fifth grade, then you're starting to talk about when you do something embarrassing, people remember that even in high school. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. if you're learning those things early, because, um, because uh, uh, I mean, they, they don't, not everybody goes to pre-K anymore. They, they've made it to where I think only the uh, under a certain poverty line goes to pre-K, um, and it's only half the kids. And so um, you're starting to lose some of those years because if you haven't gotten that normalization down by third fourth fifth grade then uh yeah they remember that and you've already become that social outcast man that's pretty wild i guess i didn't even consider that till you said that now it's kind of got my mind blown that that's what it was (laughs) i didn't know what it was i thought it was like just it seemed like just a switch flipped we learned so much from from our uh from social aspects, I mean, e- even in high school, by the time you get to high school, that's when you're starting to get to, uh, I think it's Eric Erickson has the stages of development. And, uh, before high school, you're just trying to learn, um, what you're good at, uh, industrialization versus inferiority. I think it is. And so, um, you're basically mm-hmm. trying to learn what you're good at and, uh, what you're not good at. And then by the time you hit 13 and you're going into high school, that's when it's identity versus role confusion and so that's where you're learning where you fit in and uh basically who you are and uh at that age so so usually uh, yeah okay if i if i see a bad kid middle school elementary school a lot of times you can trace it back to the parent parenting has a lot to do with that you know it's like 50 50 right and then once you start getting into uh high school it's your friends Parents don't have that much control anymore. Um, it's I'd say it's almost 70% friends, 30% control from the parents um, because your friend group just becomes so important. And you could have kids who are great and they just start hanging out with the wrong crowd and all of a sudden you see them start to veer towards that crowd. And uh, it's because we really undervalue how much that, that social group uh plays that role in uh, shaping you in high school. It's funny. It just got me thinking about something totally <laughs> not related, but I was, I used to do screen printing and they called it color migration. And so if you had a red t-shirt and you were going to put a white imprint on that shirt, if you weren't careful, what they would always show you is like, well, you got to put, you got to put white on there two or three times because it may look white, but tomorrow when you come back in here, that white's going to look just it pink. It washes a little pink. Yeah. yeah, it's going to look pink. And I said, well, why? It said it just the color migrates from one to the other. Even if you, it doesn't matter what you do, you can't stop it. And it just makes me think about how a friend group or anybody around is really what's happening. I mean, you get in there, unless you're just completely shelled up, I mean, then what's the point of being in a friend group, yeah. right? I mean, you're going to get some of that migration. Uh, I mean, you, whether you believe in creationism or evolution, you know, I think there's something kind of innate put inside us that uh, once you start hitting about 14, 15, 16, that there's like almost this mechanism inside us that wants to distance ourselves from our family. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's that wanderlust that, that makes us want to go 
go uh, out uh, and make our own way. And so you see around 14, 15, that's when a lot of kids start to have that kind of, uh, they either start doing things that makes a little bit of a rift between their parents or, you know, the bonds just aren't there as much and they start wanting to be around their friends a lot more. And I think that's kind of the natural way of saying, hey, it's getting close to time to leave the nest. I mean, heck, back in olden days, you'd already be leaving the nest at that age. And yeah. so that's kind of when uh, it's, it's like biology kind of pushing us out a little bit. Yeah. Well, ejecting we, us. we used to have rituals for that. I mean, a long time ago, you know, it <laughs> right? was like, you know, at a certain age, you had to go do these things, you know, to become an adult. And it, we're, we're missing a lot of that in the world. We don't have those sort of rites of passage, I guess, in, in us anymore. Yeah, it's it's weird. Biology's weird. Like when you're like, because I think that there are things like that that happen that's pushing us out when we're 13 or 14, right? There's a lot of hormones and and uh, like our sexual organs are kind of becoming developed at 13 or 14. And then our brains aren't fully becoming developed until like our later 20s. Uh, and so it's like you have some things that are making us turn into adults when we're 13, 14, 15. And then you have other things that make it to where not really adults till we're 26, 27. And uh, that's kind of the joke about uh how we're created or how uh we evolved <laughs> yeah no it makes sense i mean and you can see why there's a lot of problems with that kind of thing too i mean especially yeah when you have uh as a teenager you're making decisions uh when your body's <laughs> becoming an adult and you're making decisions but your brain's not quite ready to be making those decisions you know? right <laughs> where a lot of a lot of uh, pain can come from Exactly. And now we're the old people that look around saying, those kids, right? They don't have it figured out. Back in our day, we did. <laughs> that's every generation. That's right. Yeah. And this has been really interesting. I'm fascinated by everything you talked about. And I'm happy. I know it. This episode's Fishing for Goodies Fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, 
Let's take that dive in the fishbowl. So you have to listen to this show, you said. I want to. Well, I'm going to tell you, then you don't know about that fishbowl. I do not know about the fishbowl. We do. At this time of the show, every guest draws three questions out of the fishbowl. Okay. Um, they're put in there. Some of them I put in originally kind of to seed it, but now it's been guests and some gaming cards. Okay. It's all kinds of stuff in there. So what we do is you draw three, you read it, and then we'll discuss it. Yeah. And I'll say this just to just defend myself a little bit is I want to listen to the show before. Before I had the quintuplets, I read avidly, read a bunch of stuff, and I made it. I was reading the Ender series, and I think there's like maybe eight books in that series, and I made it to the last one, and then the Quints were born. I have been on the exact same book since the Quints were born. Hey, I understand. So, I, I yeah. used to read like crazy, man. Yeah. And then you know kids i mean truly not not like not like your situation but kids you know <laughs> kids in life and so now i'm a book takes me i'll take a couple of months at least to go through a 100 page book because oh, i can man. only read a little bit at a time i want to I, w- I want to pick books back up again i think uh video games too the last video game i really got to sit down and play was like halo 2 um it's been a while uh we bought breath of the wild for the switch and it's like i want to sit down and play it but it's just i have I don't know yeah. when to put it. I just for me, yeah, <laughs> podcasts. I've, I've, I've got to where I listen to them a lot more because now I can think of a subject and go, let me go see if there's a podcast about that. Nice, and then just go down that rabbit hole when I'm driving. It's where it's yeah. kind of it's not replaced reading, but it's definitely taken up some of my. Reading I need time. to. I, I'd surround my when I'm driving. That is my sacred ska punk time to, uh, to pet myself up. And yeah, less than Jake, <laughs> and and then I just my wife recently turned me on to this band from the '90s that I don't know how isn't bigger i never heard their name is pain i've never heard of them yeah they're really bouncy it's almost like uh it's like cake but a little bit more bouncy and and has this ska feel to it it's really peppy i love it just get you in the right space always (laughs) um okay so just dig around whatever you want man there's cards papers okay let's see how could you reinvent yourself that's a big question it's a very big question Ah, hmm. I don't know how I would. I kind I kind of like where I'm at. Um, yeah. If if I, I I mean if I had more time in the day, I would definitely work out a lot more, um, and try to be a little bit more athletic. Uh, Is there like a path that you go? Hmm. Do you ever do you ever think about this? And I always I do. Yeah. And I obsess about it, but I always go. Are there any like nodes in your life where you go? Oh, right here. This was like a shift. Like I I took a course shift. (sighs) Hmm. That is. I mean, I'm I'm definitely one of those ones that that feels like everything that has ever happened in my life has kind of brought me to where I am. And I love where my kids are. I I love my kids, all of them. I love my wife. Uh, She's amazing. Um, if I could reinvent myself, I suppose I would try to reinvent a housekeeper. Um, maybe that could come in and, and do stuff. Um, <laughs> Orin can attest to you. I'm like this really healthy mix between Antonio Banderas, Denzel Washington, and George Clooney in their prime. That's okay. Kind of that, that's, that's, that's what, what I was you're seeing. I, I, right? Yeah. That's what I was yeah. going to in the description for the show. Yeah. For the folks that, don't, that aren't going to be watching. Thank it. you. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, um, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I would definitely try to be a little bit more athletic. I'm, I, 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 I'm comfortable where I am. I'm not the smartest person. I'm not the coolest person. Um, I'm definitely comfortable in my awkwardness and, and my, uh, okay. Okay. Here, here's what I would say. If, is if I can reinvent myself is sometimes I'm not able to get 
social enough with people. It's like like with my friends. I haven't had that socialization in a long time because because I'm just lacking that free time. And so whenever I do meet up with them, uh, sometimes I get a little bit overboard with that picking, kind of like picking. And it's it's, it's like the, the friendly jabs. Is that kind of like friendly the, jabs? Yeah. But I feel like whenever I leave, I feel like man that that pie chart was definitely heavily favored on the jabs, and I needed to make it a little bit more on this. And I feel really bad about that. And so if I could reinvent any thing that that would be it is that I, I do a lot of the jabs less i can relate to that man i totally can like i don't have a giant friend group um but i have like this small cluster of like guys and gals that i go hey those are really my good friends but i don't see them that often maybe three four times a year and when i do i go through the same thing because whenever we were around each other a lot that was just in the mix was the yes. cutting up and picking and poking mixed in with other stuff but it was on the reg yeah but now that's not on the reg it's like a the jabbing and picking and poking is like yeah. a quick way to get a little bit get some good laughs going but i'm heavily weighted in that category and, and they're all adults now they don't go by their life like i have my friend michael rivers he was always rivers now he's just michael uh, or my friend tj elsey's just travis now so they're all like or, or yeah my friend joey ledoux is william he goes by his first name uh, okay the more professional william now that he's a lawyer that graduated from duke he's law not joey anymore yeah, right and <laughs> and so uh and so but i still have that that youthful nature i just want to pick on all of them so <laughs> oh yeah i got one friend who probably i don't know if he'll ever listen to this but he i i guarantee you he would agree with that it's like god dude you pick with me more than anybody because i'm like i know you get it though he's like one of those few little safe spaces i can still stick that stuff yeah and and the thing about the out of shape thing is i really wish i had just a little bit more of that energy that i had when i was in shape um because man i mean with six kids and, and working like i do uh my wife also has uh ankylosing spondylitis it's uh an autoimmune inflammatory uh disorder and so there's a lot of times where she's kind of holed up and can't do a lot and i just wish i had just a little bit more energy and, and i know as we get older um you know we lose that but also if i was a little bit in better shape i think i'd have that more energy kind of be able to push and do a little bit more stuff for it yeah so. i hear you man yeah. that's that's stuff that's hard to change too because i mean some things just um circumstances of life just make it to where it's not possible i yeah. get it man i do well i uh my my thing i actually had to where uh so when i was a band director i got up to like 260 it's like the band director like every band director you've ever seen has that gut right and so uh when i stopped i addiction addiction's a really weird thing to me about to piss off a lot of more people i don't see addiction as a disease i see okay. i see addiction as this kind of like behavior model like it's your behaviors a pattern of behaviors and some of them are a lot harder to extinguish than others and, and so i always thought addiction was just bs um you know my friends and i we I, I definitely i grew up with like the metal crowd the freaks and um friends were definitely heavily into drugs and stuff and got my little college scholarship for band that said you would be drug tested it's like well, i'm not gonna touch anything anymore and i never had any addiction to anything like people would be like hey you want to try something I'd be like nope nope i got the scholarship never had any urges so i never believed in addiction i never really felt like it was that big of a thing and then i was sitting in this addictions class uh, that dr melville brilliant guy teaches at mcneese and uh and that's when i was sitting there i realized i have this addiction to food mm. um and and uh i mean me and my friend uh brandon who still goes by Brandon. He doesn't go by William yet. <laughs> it's his first name. <laughs> but uh, he, uh, you know, we're, we're sitting there and, um, 
and we were trying like every diet pill under the sun. I would we would have stuff shipped in from Canada that you couldn't even get in the U.S. anymore, and I was trying to lose weight, and we just couldn't couldn't do it. And that's whenever I looked at my eating like like an addiction model and uh, like a pattern of behaviors. And that year, I got down to 200 pounds. It was really nice and fit and in shape. And uh, I'd extinguished all these triggers. I was eating healthy. It's like it really. I hate this term so much, but it really was a lifestyle change. Okay. And uh, now. And so everywhere I'd eat healthy, it wasn't even an effort. But every time I'd go back to my mom's house, it was like I was that fat kid in the pantry just stuffing myself in, right? Uh, Because I never got to extinguish that trigger. My parents bought that house when I was six months old, and I built up all those fat kid triggers there. Wow. And so when the quintuplets were born, and uh, six months later, we we went through divorce, and I was the single dad half the time, and I bought my parents' house. Did you really? (laughs) Yeah. And so the trigger is like there. I have yet to extinguish that trigger and i cannot my kids they're very picky eaters and i can't watch six plates have food on them still and not do anything with it and so interesting i have a similar that's so funny i was i literally just talked about this on the episode of the show that comes out tomorrow yeah um um, i have a problem with that with leftover food i don't know what it is it bugs me and it'll gnaw at me like if i see or you gnaw at it well yeah Yeah. i mean honestly i i could probably if we go out to dinner somewhere probably not order if i was willing to sit back and wait for everybody else to get finished and then just eat everything they had left totally could and i thought god i I might even put that to test after we talked we even we went yeah we went to pensacola and uh my wife's not the biggest foodie um and she doesn't realize how picky she is my daughter the 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 four-year-old will eat more than the quintuple combined she'll actually eat and so me and her would order these this food and then we at our hotel we had like the fridge and the microwave and i'd be eating the leftovers and stuff and then that last night comes up and it's like there's like three meals worth of leftovers and I'm yeah. like well that can't go to waste and so I'm sitting there like <laughs> trying to stuff down as much as I can um, and so and we also have a black lab this 90 pound black lab that's way too chunky because I'm using her to I've actually lost <laughs> to, a couple of pounds the, but it's because I'm using her <laughs> to eat the food before I can eat it um, and so if I could reinvent anything it would definitely be that 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 behavior that eating behavior and interesting uh, and the letting stuff go to waste um, yeah that that book bugs me it just kills me I, that, that i know where mine comes from i don't know if it's ever going to change yeah but i do i found it like it's in my it's from my from something very young but like it was mm-hmm. an old magazine that just really affected me from a national geographic it was about uh, it's called um famine in the horn of africa mm-hmm. and i sat there and just and i know, just stuck man I, was, I know all the stuff that i have to do to lose weight i know about my fitness pal when i use my fitness pal i lose weight every time um i know the mindfulness techniques i teach mindfulness techniques i love the hindu mindfulness techniques eating and just really focusing on everything but when you're working 60 hours a week and you got six kids it's just so it's hard it oh is. yeah and and uh, so that, that would be it. That would be the first. I mean, I can relate to a lot of that. I mean, a whole lot of what you just said. I mean, maybe not word for word, but I, I can definitely see just the, like you said, schedule has a lot to do with it. I mean, when mm-hmm. you're working, you know, I'd love to say I work 40 hours a week, but it's not 40 hours a week. It's just not. I mean, it's always more. And it's Always. Yeah. Yeah. I get it, man. Man, that well, was a good question. That generated a lot of good discussion. It was. I don't know if I really answered it. But it's okay. Yeah. Most of the time, that's what happens is these things just stimulate. Okay. We'll go with a card this time. Okay. Things you can do to surprise your partner or a friend. Hmm. My wife hates surprises. Really? 
Yeah, I mean, like, like if I told her, I think it's just the way it's because she with the ankylosing spondylitis, they they have this kind of the spoon theory, and so the spoon theory is that uh, when you wake up in the day, you have a certain number of spoons, and you can only use a certain number of spoons for certain tasks and so if she wakes up and she she's still going to college also and so she's got college that's going to take up two of her spoons and maybe she's only got four spoons so now she's got to figure out where those other two spoons will go okay and it's, it's a pretty cool theory but she doesn't have a lot of spoons um she's she's taking medication try to get the inflammation down and get better and uh so so if i just threw surprises at her they almost never fit in i see with the spoons but actually that that might be what it is things you could do to surprise your partner or a friend i could probably buy a hot tub uh install a hot tub outside Ooh, um, that actually sounds nice that's not bad um surprise or friend so if i could go off on another tangent okay so i don't know if you've ever uh read the book the five love languages no okay it's it's an amazing book um i think the author is gary chapman and uh it's usually i recommend it to most couples if you're married uh a couple you've probably heard of this book um the idea is that we all speak and um interpret love and appreciation through five languages okay the first one is physical touch and so that would be by sex uh but also rubbing shoulders you know hands on the head uh hugs just kind of like cuddling next to each other the second one is acts of service and so that would be like let's say that you're the person who usually does the yard work but your wife sees that you just had this horrible week uh she goes out and mows the lawn she might be the one who usually does the dishes you see that she had this really horrible day you do the dishes for that's an act of service that's a love language um the third one is uh let's see uh words of affirmation saying positive things to each other complimenting each other uh with um then the fourth one is quality time which if you're a quality time person it would be one-on-one like like how this is quality time we haven't checked our cell phones this whole time we haven't taken a break right um we're just sitting here we, we're even making great eye contact just staring yeah. lovingly into each other's eyes that is <laughs> great right. quality time uh, so that's that's amazing there and then the fifth one is gifts which people think is vain but but that really is the way that some people feel and show love and appreciation it's gifts and uh you're going to fit into one one of these love languages and so if i'm working with a couple i might have this guy that that works at the plants and uh his love language that he shows people is acts of service and he's working 60 hours a week and when i talk to him he, he doesn't want to work 60 hours a week he, that's his love that he's showing to his family now i go and i work with his wife and his wife she fills it through quality time that's how she feels love and appreciation maybe she shows her her love language is, is physical touch and she does a really good job of trying to make sure that she's just touching him and, and uh, rubbing him and stuff get him massages but his quality his uh love language might be gifts and he handles all the finances and so she doesn't get him gifts because he handles all the finances she doesn't really know how much money uh, they have I see so you have two people that just feel like they're showering each other with love and attention and then not receiving it right at all yeah and so it's trying to teach them how to do the love languages now i, I kind of adapted that a little bit and uh whenever i had the quintuplets it, it was like how do I show this many kids 
enough attention. Mm. And so I started to look at the love languages. I'm teaching these couples how to do this kind of stuff. And I started to look at it with my relationship with my kids. Uh, it started with, with one of my kids. Uh, they were all premature. And so early steps would come in and work with them. And, and uh, there was an occupational therapist that would come in and work with uh, one of my sons, Owen. And uh, when she would work with him doing the massage stuff, the physical touch, his anxiety would just be so much less. And that made me start to realize that he has a physical touch love language. And to this day, whenever I'm sitting there and I have my hands on him and he's like sitting on my lap and stuff that's like his happiest uh i have another son who's words of affirmation but it has to be words of affirmation about his his works like i can't just tell him how great he is as a kid i have to tell him how great his art Uh, is what he's manifesting exactly not just him and the other son the third son it's actually him i need to compliment him if i'm complimenting his stuff he doesn't feel it it's him i have another daughter who's very much into physical touch another one who's quality time and so when I learn their love languages, I can go home and it usually takes me about an hour, two hours to fill them with that attention they need. And, and without using that, I might never be able to give them yeah, man, that attention. That is fascinating. And so going back to this question, sorry, that was a long segue. Things you can do to surprise your partner or your friend is I have never really adapted that to where my friends are because you could adapt that theory to coworkers. You could find out like, like uh, I, um, I'm a picker. Uh, and so uh, sometimes I go too far and I really tick off uh, the ladies that I work with a lot of times <laughs> by picking. And uh, usually I kind of figure out what their love language is and do something to apologize. That's another thing I counsel kids on is having a good apology game. If you go too far that we could apologize to people quickly. But the ladies that currently work at the office I'm at now, they're very hard to figure out. They're not into gifts. They're almost always on diets and they get mad if I get them food. Uh, and so uh, things like that. It's figuring out people's love languages so that you could do a little bit more to uh, to build that connection yeah. with them, make them feel better. That is interesting. I, I've had coworkers like that where I couldn't quite figure out how to connect with them because I'm, you know, I'm a picker too, mm-hmm. and it's it's like okay. I, I, usually that that's fun. Some people enjoy that, and you get a little bit of laughter together, and it's a, a little jab back and forth. For me, that's always been a way to build relationships. But when I do encounter somebody, and you go, oh, "That's not that that's not for them. They're not that's not going to respond well to that." And then you start looking for their love language, and you just can't seem to find it. It's that's difficult yep. because you're going. We're never really going to fully connect. <laughs> Could be that they're a physical touch person, and you're not the type of boss who's going to go and physically touch everybody. Because that's true. That's, that's true. how we should be. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Sometimes there's even. I, I think that I have a little. I think I am a little bit of a physical touch person, but I've always been very uncomfortable with physical touch. I've come from a very big Catholic family. We're very close, but we're not huggers and and even in high school uh like i, I think people would actually tell me how horrible my hugs were mm. very and so if someone would come and put their hand on me usually i have that defensive yeah, gesture similar. and uh but i've noticed when i was forcing myself to do the physical touch w- with owen at first because it was it never occurred to me that i need to be doing this so i'm not forcing as in oh it's disgusting touching my kids it just never occurred to me hey you need to go and rub them right now and that's fascinating i mean it makes me realize more and sometimes and I, I guess without, or guess never really spoke it out loud, but is looking at other people as unique in that regard. And all, instead of just assuming and impressing upon them my own ways is to always go, hey, you know, they have their own ways. They have their own things inside of them that, that are causing things and, and having them react a certain way. You know, because I'm, I'm the same way. I'm not a big hugger and a big 
well, hang on. I back up. I love hugging my children. Mm-hmm. You know, I hug my wife, but they, they you get outside of that circle. I'm not just big on hugging and, and cut. Yeah, I still haven't transferred that. I, I don't hug too many people. Yeah, it, it kind of, I do it when somebody, when I see it, somebody else is like, Offering that as a, a greeting or a, you know yeah. goodbye, I will partake right as because that's their ritual, I to think, and I try not to be awkward. But inside, a lot of times I am. I just mm-hmm. not. It's just not a part of me to to be that way. And they say that in order to get the endorphins really released from a hug, you have to hug for at least twenty seconds. Really, that's a long hug. I, I can't. Other than my family, I can't think of anyone I've hugged hug. for longer than that's twenty seconds. Twenty seconds, seconds a long hug. That's man. a long hug. That's a long <laughs> hug if you're not a hugger. Yeah, I mean a long twenty seconds. Even if you're a hugger, God, I'm gonna start testing that too. Because yeah. I mean, I'm gonna think about. I mean, again. You'll notice it. Those endorphins they release. Twenty um, seconds. Yeah. Man, dude, a lot can happen in twenty seconds. <laughs> it is. That's a long hug. It's a long time. But I mean, back in the day, it probably wasn't. You know, that's just just how we are now with this. Yeah. Uh, you know, the way our minds work. Well, you know, my wife's family—they're big huggers, and my family's not. And so, when she and I first started dating, and I would go to her family events, or they had a big family, big Catholic family, mm-hmm. a lot of people, and they—they they got together a lot. My family was the opposite. And she she picked up on it pretty quick. She was like, you look uncomfortable. I said, well, it's just everybody's <laughs> just so many people. First of all, I said, but everybody's hugging and kissing each other and like just and they'll, they'll sit and hug each other and talk to each other while they're hugging each other. And I was like, this is so interesting. Yeah, it's like, and I was kind of worried. You're going to have that hand on me all Thanksgiving dinner. Like, how, how you been? Like you're in, a, you're in a hug lock and it's like in your ear. Like, how you been? Everything's been good. The kids, you know, and patting your back. You're thinking time. about that beef jerky you just ate on the ride over. Yeah. And like, this <laughs> is way is... more than 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but I mean, when you think about it, if you're if you are a uh, words of affirmation, or if you're a quality time person, there's so many times that we stop in, and I'm very guilty of this because of how just all over the place I am. Is I might stop, and uh, if you see me at Walmart, it's like a one minute conversation that I'm out of there and all we ever get out is that superficial fluff and sure. so for a quality time person you didn't do it for them mm. and so if you're a physical touch person you're giving a hug for less than 20 seconds that's like that popping at Walmart you know you're not doing yeah. it for them and you know you see I think some of that too I, I can I can relate to some degree I mean you're a counselor so you're in conversation deep conversation mm-hmm. on a lot of different dimensions with a lot of different people all the time even just doing this show is kind of like that i mean i might do three i usually do two to three interviews a week which isn't nowhere near what you're doing but it's about an hour or two a piece so when you have that many conversations that are not surface level by the time i get to walmart i'm almost ready for it to be surface level it does that make some kind of sense it, like almost ready for it to go okay i'm I've, it, I've it does satiated it to some degree my that's not how i am i'm very much i could just talk to people all day long i understand that there are people who aren't like me uh, <laughs> so, so i do i have heard that people are like you uh, i think most people are kind of <laughs> like you um the most uh, there's a lot of counselors there's a lot of burnout for that because you sit there and you um mm. yeah you're talking to people you go home and you're just not able to get that with your family yeah when your kid comes up and goes hey let me tell you about my day you're gonna like oh man yeah, yeah. Exactly. you're right what i'm guilty of is i'm just ready to get home and be with my wife like if it's not so much i could have this in depth conversation with you it's just i'm just ready to go home and see my family and be yeah. at home um and do other stuff it's like if when i retire i don't think that's ever or uh, maybe it's when my kids graduate 
is that when I have free time again? I've heard that. I don't mm, know. I don't know. Um, only one of mine's out of school. So yeah. I could talk to people all day long. It's it's really just the the time that makes me do the supervision. I'm running by real quick. I've thought about this a little bit. Whenever um, I first had read the book back in the mid '90s when it came out, the book Into the Wild about Chris McCandless, yes. and then the movie came out, and I started thinking about it again. And I don't know why. I guess in the when I watched the movie, I picked it up more than I did when I read the book. But it was. The, the allure you said it earlier wanderlust you know it was yes. like this his lust to to get away from society and to get away from people and to sort of be his own man and be alone he wanted to do this and at first when i read the book i was like that appealed to me i was like oh he's he's definitely appealing to this part of me this, yeah. this escapism i guess um but then when I watched the movie years later, when they did that, I was like, oh, you know, I didn't catch this when I read the book. But he what makes his story good is it's not his aloneness. It's his togetherness. It's all the the story is all these wonderful relationships that he built along the way, these not surface relationships, but deep relationships. And it was that's where the book even came from was. Yeah the guy going around and talking to people who encountered him and had relationships with him. And then the end of the movie, of course, and in the book too, he says, you know, life is meant to be shared. He finally realizes it. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. Cause I was like, you know, I don't know where I'm going with that. I think that was, there's like I, both natures in a person. I like that though. And I think, I think when we're used to people, I think we, we get our rituals. Right. And so like, like with my best friend, uh, we'll go walking he actually lives down the road from me and we walk every night, but, but typically, uh, it's been a long time since we've actually been able to hang out for hours. Usually we just uh, sneak away from my family and he, he gets out the house. We walk for like 10 minutes and it's mostly that ritual fluff that we, we, we talk about. It used to be game of Thrones or the sports. He's my sports friend. And so we'll talk about football, we'll talk about basketball, and then we kind of part ways because, uh, you know, thankfully the Indorama flare makes it to where we could read a newspaper outside. The mosquitoes are <laughs> live by one yeah. too. I know what you mean, man. <laughs> but like dawn at night. Yeah. yeah. For anybody that doesn't live in Sulphur, Louisiana, we have a torch, literally forty feet high. And this company, I swear, I swear, every month it's been going on for like six months now, and they're always like, "Oh, it's only another two weeks of this," and like we could really read our newspaper outside. Uh, but um. But no, I mean, uh, the people that w I've been friends with him since we were 15. And so we built up these rituals and like you literally go through these rituals and, and in order to get that de in depth part of the conversation, you have to go through that fluff ritual. And so when you're meeting somebody new, like into the wild, it is, you're just going straight into yeah knowing each other. Uh, say, I mean, man, if we were doing, if we did this podcast every single day for 10 years, at some point it really would just be. Like the Jim Rome show. I don't know if you know. No, I don't know exactly oh, what you're talking about. Awful. The, the bro show where they just call in and everybody's like a bro. And they just talk about the bros who used to call in five years ago or ten yep, years ago. Yep. Yeah. No, man, I, I even <laughs> have listened to podcasts like that. I mean, there's a fear of that even with this where, you know, at some point you go, hey, do you exhaust the bottom of, of yourself to some, to some degree to where – I've even noticed it in, this is what, 40-something episodes where I'll go, you know, the story that I use to relate with one guest is the same story that I use to relate to another guest. What I am fascinated by is whenever something rattles loose mm -hmm. that I go, oh, now I forgot I forgot about this inside of myself. No, oh, yeah. That that's, that's fascinating. Definitely happens a lot in counseling, too. So so on average, I might work with somebody five times, ten times. And so some every now and then you'll get like a lifer and they'll get to their 15th session. You're like we've come as far as I go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what else I have. Actually, my, my, <laughs> my daughter told me that she had a, 
she was in counseling for a while and she I, you know I, as she was going through some hard times I would always kind of want to get like an update like what's well, so how to go did you know mm-hmm. share as far as she's willing to share with me and one, a few times I, I did notice where she would say that where she would say I just feel like I don't have any more nothing's changed like, I don't feel like I have any more to talk about and I'm like yeah it's interesting is that you're kind of hitting a wall or or maybe you come to the end of typically i have this belief that you should probably switch counselors every few years you kind of um really when i was when i first got to mcneese i was a tuba uh performance major in fact that's probably where most people recognize me from is at one point i was one of the top tuba players really in the state of louisiana so i think yeah that's probably where most people recognize my name and my face that's interesting i didn't know that (laughs) no i mean i made all state no but uh (laughs) like there's no tuba digester or anything but uh i was i was a tuba major before i realized there weren't a lot of tuba jobs out there you know i was just really hoping that a tuba uh just uh society would explode you know ska was big at the time and maybe the tubas would branch out but uh the professor there is really amazing uh bill rose love mr rose he's amazing but but it is it's like after you've been with somebody for two years you could pretty much script what they were going to tell you as you would go in there and i would almost find myself just practicing the stuff that uh you know that i knew that he would be hitting on and he even told me one time he's like you you have to go to different teachers you need to go to uh i think michigan State was at the time. I was looking at going and staying under Phil Cinder as a tuba player. Uh, for all you people that know all those famous professional tuba players out there, you know <laughs> Phil Cinder. Uh, but uh, so yeah, and uh, it just really stuck with me. And, and I think that's how counseling is: is that if you're really needing to work on stuff, you probably do need to be switching um, back and forth. And it's really hard because I build up all these relationships, and there's some people who are just maintaining. When you're in the, when you're in the maintenance phase, uh, you, you're just needing somebody who knows you and they can kind of help you maintain but if you really need to work on stuff you probably do need a switch and i can look at other counselors and their clients and i'm like oh that person needs to switch and i can be all judgy but then whenever it's it's hard to recognize that on your own because you build these relationships with these people it's hard to uh do that but but a lot of times I'll, i'll team up with other counselors also i have a few clients that um the, the, you know, like teenage girls. There's a lot of teenage girls issues I'm just not ready to tackle. Uh, and and so there's some female therapists at uh, the office with me. And uh, it's like, maybe maybe you should go talk to them for, for a couple of months and get some of these issues out. But then if they have this other issue that, uh, you know, that, that they're used to dealing with me on, like a behavior issue, they might come back and see me once or twice and then go back to the other person. Well, I didn't realize. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I've never, I didn't, people realize counselors did that. They, we should. Uh, a lot of times we, we get on that island because when you get that private practice you kind of get to yourself and you just know yourself but um the some of us are working in in these offices we can kind of work as a group especially for friends and uh kind of kind of do that it's interesting i like to hear that actually it's good to know i mean it's actually good to know just for me if i do ever go back to counseling you know and you get to know that that is something that rather than just you know pulling the plug and saying okay i'm done with this you know done and move away or go on there's, there's options there yeah. to still maintain the relationship with somebody you've got oh yeah and then that goes back to what i was saying at the beginning is there's 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 bad counselors out there there's people who get in the field and maybe they shouldn't be in the field but then there's also good counselors who just don't connect with you um 
Uh, there, there's people, I feel like one of my strengths is connected with people, but there's a few people that I just don't connect with sometimes. And yeah. so don't just try out one person and, uh, and, and then think that that's it. You're, you're done. Try out different people. I'm um, curious about that actually. Cause I've had, I had a bad, not a bad, I don't even like the word. It wasn't anything bad happened, but I had a counselor one time and it was just like you said, I just, I didn't feel like, <clears throat> well, let me say it this way. I felt like. The longer we met, the more I almost got to know about them. And the more I got to know about them, I realized there were some like really critical things that we absolutely just did not see eye to eye on. Mm-hmm. And so we couldn't really. And I, th- I think that's my own fault. And once those critical things were kind of displayed over time, I started to not hold their advice in his high regard and that's yeah. terrible i just admitted that but i think that's what it is i started it's, to go well if you think this about this is this advice that you're giving does it make sense what it, i just said it does and and even in psychology though um we so they, there's this really new technique called emdr uh it's this eye movement blah 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 thing and uh it, it's almost a, it kind of reminds me of hypnosis a little bit hmm. and uh it's really big with post-traumatic stress disorder and uh and uh ptsd the military is using a lot and and there's several people in my office that are that are uh trained in it and so uh you know it's it's finding out who has their strengths I, i use a lot of what's called dialectical behavioral therapy and so that's using like mindfulness and other approaches like that and and there's other people that are cognitive behavioral therapists other people are behavioral therapists and so they they do they they have everybody has different personalities and they also have different um experience and knowledge when it comes to different uh when it comes to different uh issues that you might have and and so there's there's quite a few um there's actually uh so so one of my friends um let's see uh brent woods is uh specialized in working with sexual addiction and okay. working with uh you know perpetrators uh of sexual attacks and, and, and victims of it and that's something that i don't have any experience in and so uh you know it, it's it's all about your personality and, and your issues and what you're trying to work on and find trying to find a counselor who fits that mold and just like when you're trying to find a future spouse or like a best friend you're going to go through quite a few people before you find that person you really connect with and counselors it's a a lot of the same way we we try to be as moldable and as flexible as we can to be that person for you but sometimes it just doesn't work out yeah interesting man that was a good question man we got a lot out of that one too (laughs) you think you have one more i do have one more let's see it's kind of fun huh it is i was hoping maybe i could talk on the second one oh you got a what would you rather what would you rather be incredibly smart or be incredibly popular man (laughs) that's a hard one it actually is a hard one you would think most people would say incredibly smart but the thing is is that i really hate pretentious people like i really don't like elitist potential uh but pretentious snobs so i almost don't want to be that like incredibly smart person that 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 can't connect with other people on the other hand i see okay on the other hand i don't like being popular either i like being i like being liked but i like being the second in command i'm very i'm very happy being the commander to somebody else's captain um and so i i you know as as, uh you're i'm like a typical middle child uh centrist and so i might have to say a little bit of both if i could say yeah that's what i was wondering some of these what would you rather questions are interesting because 
when we first read them as saying, oh, it's one or the other. Yeah. But but with, you could be popular and also be very smart. <laughs> you can. Or, or And both of them can go in horrible ways. I mean, we already talked about how smart doesn't really have like like a set meaning. You'd be smart yeah, at some right. and not smart at Yeah, others. you started off talking about that. With, um, uh, so, so this is another one that I kind of, Tesla, like people seem to be really into Tesla all of a sudden, right? Like it was always like, like now, nowadays, like the generations like Edison sucks and Tesla's really who should have been it. The thing people don't realize about Tesla, the man was very smart, but the man was also a bit of an ass. Can we say ass? Y'all, you can say whatever you want. He was kind of, you know, he wasn't socially, he was socially awkward. He wasn't socially there. And so why was Thomas Edison? Why did Thomas Edison win in the end? It was because he had social awareness and he wasn't a dick to people. Whereas Tesla kind of has stories where he was a bit of an ass and a bit of a dick. And so intelligence didn't really get him that far. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's interesting because uh, you're right. We kind of, I, we've, we've lifted him up a lot. And I think, I think he probably didn't get the full, um, attention he deserved for a lot of the things that he invented. I mean, we have the modern world built on that. Yeah. But at the same time, when you start getting into the, especially towards the end of his life, mm-hmm. you start to hear some of the eccentric. things. I mean, very eccentric. I mean, never leaving his hotel room. Had a lot of that, you know, agoraphobic type. And I love you steampunkers. I love steampunk. I love the whole Tesla thing. It's just this idolization of, of Tesla have always kind of baffled me because Tesla is the biggest example of you could be a smart as anybody in the role, but if you're kind of an ass, that's kind of what happens to you, you know, and you, you have to be nice to people. You have to learn how to, how to get along with others. And I, I guess that's my thing is I come from, uh, I am the, my spectrum where I feel like my intelligence is, is the social intelligence. I really try to push the social stuff. And so I guess I'm feel like, you know, that's kind of my, my soapbox. And so to me, he's almost like a, uh, an example of what not to do. Yeah, no, I can see that. That that's interesting that you brought Tesla up. I mean, I didn't even think <laughs> about that, but boy, didn't he make a sick duplicator in that movie, The Prestige? Though I love The Prestige. I did too, man. I did. I was. That and, was a great film. <laughs> and it, it, it does hurt me to say because I do love steampunk. Steampunk is definitely like a, a whole thing. So I, I'm into all the Tesla stuff. I just, I just uh, don't really understand the glorification of it. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, my my son that's interested in science, he talks about Tesla all the time, you know, and, and we watch documentaries, every little cheap documentary on YouTube that they make. And some of them are better than others. And I was pretty fascinated whenever we got into a lot of the mental health stuff. I mean, he really had some serious issues. I mean, lots of some of the letters he wrote towards the end of his life, especially, and even some of his um Mm -hmm. theories i mean the science was sound but a lot of it was you know communicating with mars and aliens you know that lived on mars Uh, it was just stuff like that that i went well okay i don't know there's also you can be very smart but also have bees in your brain oh yes you know what i mean i mean yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, a lot of times that intelligence breeds anxiety. You, you yeah. you're more aware of things around you, and and it stresses you out more, and that anxiety's there. And if you don't learn how to control that, then uh, kind of kind of can go into that paranoia realm, yeah. and, and even into hallucinations and delusions eventually. Um, and, and so that's that's kind of why I do a lot of mindfulness and things like that. That way, you kind of calm your brain down and let your brain have that. Uh, what do you do to do that? What is you do you have like a go-to technique for yourself to where you go, okay, I'm using. I'm kind of feeling anxious or stressed, and I'm going to go ahead and 
get zeroed in. I really love guided imagery. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the Wheel of Time series. Mm, no. Okay. They have a thing. I don't know if you want me to do like a guided imagery thing, like a little thing with the yeah, with the listeners. Go, go we'll do for it. You, do you want to? I could. Do it. Okay. And so as I do my guided imagery, well, I try to. Great. Yeah. Everybody get to like a little quiet place, a uh, place where kids aren't going to interrupt you and you can kind of listen around. And what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes and relax yourself get to where you can almost like if you've ever seen the salvador dolly uh picture of the melting clocks you want to kind of have your body be like the melting clocks where everything's just nice and relaxed and i want you to just listen to the sounds you can actually hear the cars passing i think in the podcast usually in my room there's a clock you can hear and i ask the clients to try to lower their heart rate to where the clock is and what I want you to do is I want you to visualize that we're outside it's a nice spring day and it's warm kind of cool still um, so it's like when the wind comes in you can feel this cold breeze on your arm but the sun is out and that's what's kind of warming you can feel the warm warmth of the sun on your skin I want you to smell the flowers, pollen in the air, hear the birds chirping. And we look in front of us and we see this lake. This is not what we have in Louisiana, but this beautiful, uh, glassy smooth surface. Like in Colorado, there's this mountain in the background and like on Forrest Gump, you can't see where the mountain begins and the reflection ends. And I want you to pretend like you walk up to this lake you place your head fully above the water to where the only thing in your vision is this water. Just glassy smooth surface. Now I want you to picture that a rock gets thrown in and there's ripples in the water. And I want you to smooth that water back out again. Smooth those ripples towards this smooth surface. And as you smooth it, again, another rock gets thrown in. Smooth the ripples out, create this nice flat surface. And you start to realize that every time a rock gets thrown in and ripples are going, that's a thought passing in your brain. And so I want you to clear your thoughts, smooth these ripples out, create that smooth surface. And another rock goes in, ripples, just smooth it out. Okay, go ahead and open your eyes. <laughs> now, normally, that's a little bit. It, it, if we were in a session, I'd try to slow. I try to slow my voice down a little bit and let that go on a little bit longer. Um, uh, whenever you see, when you close your eyes, your your vision takes up most of your brain processing, and so when you close your eyes, your other senses start to kind of reach out and take over, and you concentrate. And as you're concentrating, uh, it. It, uh, that's whenever a lot of your cortisol and other chemicals kind of get washed away a little bit and you're able to relax. Um, and as you're pushing those thoughts out, um, it does just calms you down and relaxes you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, meditation, uh, sometimes this happens when I'm in meditation, you know, and there's always run the risk in meditation of just falling asleep if you're not careful. Yep. But uh, one thought that occurs to me that, that comes back and kind of draw brings me out of it sometimes and i have to kind of go back through the process of just watching thoughts and letting them go away is uh 
where do where am I in this? Sometimes that that catches me where I go where, and I like that space. To be honest, that's <laughs> it's almost where I I want to be, but it's hard to remain there because a thought will come in and say almost inside of yourself that says, "Where are you at now in this space?" And then that's almost a little bit of a fear kind of flickers yeah and you just the the identity sort of rushes back in and just like water filling that space well and whether you believe in creationism or evolution i mean if you if you believe in creationism then you don't believe that god designed us for this world you believe that god designed us for like an adam and eve kind of eden thing and then if you believe in evolution then you believe that uh it takes generations to evolve and so when you're talking about the human brain you're talking about a brain that is designed for what like 11th 12th century and and so you're talking about a brain that is not supposed to have smartphones it's not supposed to i mean there's sometimes where i have my computer my smartphone and we're watching something on tv and my wife's talking to me and that is not what our brain is designed for uh and and so you need these downtimes you need these times to reset because our brain is just not supposed to function in the way that we're trying to force it to yeah yeah no you're totally right i mean that's that's i think causing problems i mean even Mm -hmm admitting there's a problem is one thing and then stopping it's another thing because i would say just like i was kind of almost i would say call it complaining saying education is putting all these things in front of children for the bulk of their day and not an emotional intelligence factor we're doing that as adults a lot of times too i mean my job is a screen a screen a screen a screen most of the time unless i'm in this type of interaction Mm -hmm. Uh, or and that's one of the reasons too i've tried to like pull some of that back and continue doing analog things like paper sketching and paper drafting and paper planning because if you just get right in if you're using a piece of software it is yes perhaps more efficient there's all these ways to share with everybody yeah but even there's an extra step i I prefer to sit and plan out on paper yeah definitely um uh i mean we just we we just have too much going on i mean that's really it and you always have this drive to make something else better you know you you want to improve the relationship with your family you want to improve the relationship with your wife you want to have more friends you want to go out and do more you want to travel more you want to have more money um and and at some point we we have to realize that we have so much going on in society that we have to pair it down and, and simplify things and uh and that that's that gets hard uh yeah. so yeah it, 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 it'll be interesting to see what happens in psychology too when uh you know they're already start they're already talking about screen addiction and and video game addiction and uh we really haven't even gotten to the depths of what that's going to do like like the kids that are growing up with the screen stuff they might be in their 20s now and so we have no idea what that's going to do when they're in their 50s or 60s um it could even be something positive it could be something negative we we really don't know where this is going to go well you know it's like having a memory of another time i've talked about this with my teenage son a lot i said well you know, I have screens in my life, but and I have computers in my life. I said, but you know, there was a time in my life when those things didn't exist. So I can, I have, I have recollection. So I can recall my childhood and that not being there. I can recall my junior high school life; it's not there. Computers don't start showing up in my life until sometime in high school. Yeah. Okay. And then smartphones don't start showing up in my life until 2008 or nine, something like that. So you're talking a decade of that. I can always recall the time though. And it gives me, it has something inside of my memory that I can touch. So I actually can say, oh, this pristine thing. 
And I guess every generation's like that, where people can go, oh, I can recall a time when there were no power lines. I right. can recall a time when this road was, there was no Walmart, it was fields. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's always yeah. going to be that, but for every other generation, there's always some, lot. the line gets moved, and you're right. I mean, these kids will not have that recollection. They won't even be, they can't mm-hmm. recall it. They can't say, I remember when. Oh, yeah. There's no, that doesn't exist. It it really is. uh, We really are turning into the old people. (laughs) Well, sure. I told my son. My son was born in 2003. And this really hit me a few years ago. We were watching a documentary about 9-11. And I wanted him to watch it. I was like, you know, you need to know. He's like, so tell me about it. And I'm sitting here going, you really don't know a lot about this, do you? Like, he really doesn't know a lot. He's like, so what caused it? What happened? I know the... Another were the planes and the towers. I was like, man, this is interesting. Like in mm-hmm. my mind, I'm going, this is just a part of the world. You just know what happened. But he's like, no, nobody ever talks about it. They don't tell us about it. They don't like teach us about it and all the details. And it's like, oh, we need to watch a documentary. So we found a good one. We watched it and he was blown away. And I said, you know, what's crazy. I said, is your whole world is, has been reframed in a way by this one event, right? I mm-hmm. said, in that moment, the world kind of did change again in a big way. Oh, definitely. So yeah. you were born into a world where <laughs> that happens I, and you're born. <laughs> you know, I belong to the Star Trek group on Facebook, and which is kind of embarrassing to say at first, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, can you cuss on the podcast? You can like, say whatever okay. you want. Oh, it's, yeah. it's called Star Trek shitposting. And so it's supposed to be about memes, but it kind of gets in a conversation a lot. And it's, it's interesting seeing what the younger people put because they'll, uh, you know, they'll be watching Star Trek Deep Six Nine, and uh, it'll be like a murder happens, and then they have to try to solve the murder. And then people post, why didn't they just check the cameras? And it's like, because this was made back in a time where we didn't want people to have cameras on us all the time. Right. They didn't, you know, like you guys, it, it, you can envision the future where it's like Big Brother and there's always cameras on you and everybody sees what everybody's doing at the time. But when yeah. you're talking about the 90s, the thought of having a futuristic society where there are cameras everywhere was a nightmare. That, that was, was like ni- Orwellian. 1984, that's yeah. right. That's exactly and, right. And nowadays, kids are like, well, there should be cameras everywhere. And it's like, wow, I didn't even think about that. Like that, that really, but and when you look at TV shows in the 90s and it's futuristic, TV shows, they didn't even assume there would be cameras on starships in the 24th century watching everything. And uh, when you see a kid watching that now, they're like, I don't get it. Why, why wasn't there just a camera? Yeah, it's like even shows I've, I, I watched uh, in the 90s, they'll say, you know, um, now imagine if they would have had a smartphone. <laughs> the whole show just falls apart. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 24 with Kiefer Sutherland was like that. They said, you know, so much of that could have those, they'll have these little parodies where they'll They'll say the technology, if you insert it in this episode, today's technology, these problems don't exist. This whole drama that they've built, all that gets solved with a simple text or a phone call. (laughs) And the whole thing's erased. Why didn't didn't they just call somebody? It's like, yeah, because when I was growing up in high school, we had pagers. Uh, That was a pager thing. So, Yeah, um, the insertion of technology. uh, I was reading, I can't remember the exact quote, but I was reading some Thomas Merton the other day, and he was kind of talking about that in some of his old journals about 
of course, technology to him, this is the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. So whatever's new technology, that's what he meant. But he was, but I think his point was still valid. He was just, you know, saying that we can't just say technology's evil, right? I mean, he said there's there yeah. are some things that are better because of technology. Oh, most definitely. But it's just being consumed by it is a different thing there's, entirely. It's just like when we were talking about that uh, utopian society and post-scarcity. You know, there's always going to be positives and negatives to everything, right? Um, and so even when, like, what would be the negative? Of utopia, it would well, it would be that some people would uh, probably not really feel empowered, they probably wouldn't go out and, and find the, their best selves, uh, which is better than people starving to death, but it's still the negative. And so, yeah, the, the negative to technology is going to be that, uh, as you make like like I think I have like fourteen hundred friends on Facebook or mm. something like that, and uh, you know as you you get to where you have like all these like this number of acquaintances that you were never able to have before, um, and so this connection that me and you have uh, never would have been able to be made in the nineties, right? And right. so uh, podcasts never, and so those are positive things. But then when you look at like actual deep connections, uh, where uh, you're talking about friends of families that are actually thicker than blood you know a lot of those aren't aren't there as much anymore and there's going to be some negatives to it but there's also going to be some positives to that that connectiveness yeah Um, it's interesting i um i don't know if you watch a lot of tv but uh well, you do watch stuff. I mean, obviously, you watch sci-fi, yeah, science fiction, stuff I like veg that. out and stuff. And yeah. have you ever watched American Gods? I started it, but uh, I didn't get to finish it. It didn't catch me as much as some of the other shows. Really, I, I thought it was interesting because it's got you know the, the new gods and the old yeah. gods of technology gods. I think we got to where that lady kind of ate the dude up in her <laughs> yeah. thing. That was kind of, and we liked it. Yeah, we it's wanted just to different. keep going. There was just, uh, I think, um, it's like our list of shows is this long, and then what we're able to watch is like this long. I hear you. And that was one of the ones that kind of got push the side a little bit. You know what's interesting? My wife and I hit a wall a while back um, where we were just like, nothing looked good. And we'd like to watch shows. We really do. Um, And so we were were saying, you know what we need to watch? Uh, Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon. Wow, old school. Yeah, okay. and so we went back okay. and it was like, and not just to try to watch wholesome stuff or anything. I was just like, I used to like to watch this at my grandma's house when I was a kid. So we were like, well, they're all on Netflix. And so we started watching them and we did that for like uh, two months. Every night we put on Highway to Heaven. And what's funny is I told her, I said, do you realize like the state of mind that this show has put us in? I was gonna, yes. I mean, exactly. I remember my wife being pregnant and we were like really into The Walking Dead. And I just remember her like, like being pregnant and and uh, kind of stressed, and then being even more stressed during The Walking Dead, like pacing around and stuff. And I'm like, this isn't good. Yeah, <laughs> probably shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean the media. You, this is hard for people to really do, but you really do need to be watching and listening for the mood that you want to be in. Man, that is God. Say it again. We, we yeah, we listen and we watch for the mood that we're in. And so when we're depressed, we put on depressing shows. We put on depressing music. When we're angry, we put on angry music. But you really do need to listen and watch for the mood that you want to be in. Um, and, and we don't do that enough. We yeah. we, we uh, go for for the for the the ones that keeps us in those fills. Anxiety, anger depression they have this really weird way of making you want to stay in that state it's like it's like you're miserable and if you're talking to somebody you're like i don't want to feel that way but it's like if i walked in i had this button i was like hey look if you push this button you're not gonna be angry at this person anymore you're like 
nah, I kind of want to be angry. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, I have yeah. to feel better. Seduction, being angry. man. It's and like a... yeah. And, and so it, it's literally, if you know that you have this happy song and you put on this happy song and all of a sudden you're going to feel better, there's this thing that you're just like, no, that's a lame song and I want to put it in right now. Um, and, but you, or the TV show, that's a lame TV show. I don't want to watch it, but you know, you're going to feel better watching that. Um, you really should be assaulting yourself assaulting yourself with yes. uh, positive stuff. I totally agree. I do. I, I totally agree. And social media, I, you know, I, I, I talk about this on this show all the time. And I was talking about it with my son. I said, you know, before the internet, before social media and before chat rooms, even really, when we, the way you communicated with people was through devices that required you to be intimate with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was going to call you, we were going to have a conversation. It was going to be, I could hear your voice. There was like a, a level of connection that was there. Yes. You know, I used to love my CB radio whenever, heck, I just got rid of mine, actually. I've had it for years and I, I loved it because I, I loved the idea of hearing a voice and then changing the channel to get certain voices and then tuning the dials to hear the voices I wanted to hear. Um, I remember driving around and we'd play these games when we'd go to Lake Charles and like try to drive, get closer to other people's signal. And then you'd meet people and you only yeah. really knew them by their CV handle, but you'd on the weekends you would know the same groups of people and you get to know them. And I told him, I said, you know, that was, there was something special about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, with social media, though, we treat it totally different. We treat it like this door that sort of just opens and every, and whatever, whatever just floods in. But no, no other communication tool was like that. You know, it was not just a big flood of stuff. It was focused and dialed in and you got it the way you wanted it. And so I said, you know, maybe social media, well, we, if I start looking at it the way I looked at a CB or a ham radio, it might be a little different for me. And just put it on the signals that I want to get. And it's out there because if you go out and find certain groups, right? Um, so I used to be really into, before I had the kids, I got really addicted to guitar pedals. Bass player and I, my pedal board had like 13, 14 pedals. And I was in this group called I ilovefuzz.com for fuzz pedals, mm-hmm. sexual stuff. But uh, it was... Uh, uh, I mean, we, we had this really close-knit group, and I actually had friends that would make cross-country trips to come and visit just from this group. And you can find that on Facebook. You can find those, uh, like, Star Trek shit posting, and, and you start to see the same people post in there, and you make these connections. Yeah. But uh, a lot of times, you know, people don't. And a lot of times, the, you have those people who, they, there's more trolls than people realize on Facebook. So I had, I had friends five, ten years ago who would create fake handles that looked real that would go on like the KPLC page and uh, post like harassing stuff. Just Sometimes stir even, shit up. I yes, mean. just to stir shit up. Sometimes even racist stuff. And it's like, guys, that's oh, sure. really embarrassing. And and I'll even see to this day, I'll see people say, oh, that KPLC page with all that stuff on it. I mean, I'm guilty, it, yeah. It's like half those people probably aren't even real. They're just going on there to stir shit Honestly, up. Honestly, the reality is it could even be paid trolls. You know yeah. what I mean? Like from just to yes. keep it interesting, it's sensational. That's what people want. Oh yeah, so like, we will go out there to Russian bots. That's where we're going with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, no, I mean it really is. And so it, you're you're really finding people who really get on just. And I've kind of noticed in my life too. I've noticed that the uh, the and I, I don't want to say less happy because I'm happy in, in my life. But it's more of the 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 busier I get, the more I spend on Facebook. So like like when my wife is really in the crunch with 
McNeese and and her finals are coming in and she's barely got time to, to focus on stuff I've noticed that I, I kind of turned to Facebook and social media a little bit more or saintsreport.com was another thing that I, a website I would go to and then whenever she would get done with finals it's like uh, there'd be like a period where it's like she's looking to do stuff with me and I'm like addicted to the stuff. Oh, I see what you mean. And then I have to put it down and then we're happy. But but I've noticed that whenever I do start spending more time online, it's because there's something missing in real mm. life. Yeah. And so she's busy with all of her finals. She's not able to pay attention to me. I turn to social media and things do tend to get more negative. They tend to get darker. And then whenever she does get free, it's like, I have to fit, like force myself to be like, this phone needs to go away. Uh, and if I'm not paying attention to it, I can get stuck in that online uh, trend for a long time, but it's like, I have to force myself to put it away. So I can spend more time with her. Um, and, and I think, I think it's the trap. I think some people don't have that wherewithal to be able to put the phone away. And so they kind of get stuck in that social media trap. And I think other people don't realize, I think they get too into their online persona that they don't realize the reason why they're turning to it is because they're missing that yeah. thing in well, real life. I think you're right. I think, you know, that's as interesting. Cause I mean, the show, uh, puts, puts me in a different place because now people I mean, I want to make the show, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's part one. I say, I want to put this show out there. Why? Well, I want to focus on good people doing good things in the community. I want to celebrate them. To celebrate them, I have to be a part of the conversation. So then I'm therefore out there too. And what's my personality, right? I mean, so I've tried really hard to not fake it. I mean, I go, look, I can't fake it. If this is going to be anything that's going to keep going, I have to be 100% me, whatever yeah. that is. Sometimes it's not something that needs to be out there. So I said, well, okay, I've just got to say, let it go because and let it be real. Right. It's so hard though, because, but you're also (laughs) that, that ray of sunshine that's needed because there's these trolls here and there's people who look at it and they see these racist, bigoted trolls and these things and they need to see not everybody's like that. And so it's, it's hard because they also need those champions who come in and say, uh, you know, this isn't how everybody thinks. This well, you're a- right. I, that has been the <clears throat> silver lining to this whole thing. In, in experiment, I guess, um, has been, you know, what I have gotten feedback. And I guess I would say publicly and then sort of off radar and like DMs and messages like that. But I get mm-hmm. messages from people and they say, God, you know, I've, I've always thought that or I didn't want to say it or um, yeah, I feel that way. I'm so glad I'm not alone. You know, it's those little messages like that when they come in. I go, OK, so there's people out there sort of maybe too afraid to. It's unfortunate, mm-hmm. really, actually, as I say it, that why, why be why? Why are we afraid to be kinder? Why are we afraid to, you know, not join the status quo why are we afraid of that i don't know but but there's something out there making people fear on different levels it can be different for everybody but there's something out there that makes some people afraid to be open and honest and loving and kind and and put that out there and you know take up for the underdog and i don't i go man it's so sad that we live in a world where that's sort of become demonized almost or or you label it you know yeah i mean we, we live in a time where it's compromise is considered bad and uh trying to find common ground even with bad people it's like it's like even with um you know if you talk about nazis right if you talk about hey maybe i should try to talk to this nazi and see no 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 you're evil if you don't want to just punch them just go punch <laughs> right. nazis it's like okay that's a 
really smart idea because okay so you have this evil person and your idea is you want to punch him which isn't going to stop him so now you have this evil person who's been punched what are they going to do probably something worse yeah and so and and then if you're the person that's like well i want to go see if maybe i could you know change him a little bit it's like oh well now you're evil it's like well, yeah you, yeah you know but maybe that's the counselor in me when i when i see incels and when i see nazis and then they're, they're, they're a real problem this is a real thing that we need to deal with my first thought is man i wish i could have that person in my session you know i wish i could find out what's going on there and, and try to figure out how to yeah. fix it and then everybody else is just like well if you don't want to punch them then you're, you're evil also it's like, there's a guy <laughs> i listen to man um i listen to his youtube channel and he's real conservative and not that that's bad all the time but and because i don't want to use that word as a demonizing term either i mean because i mean that word shouldn't be that way mm-hmm. but in what it means in today's world I would say most people will consider a conservative talk show, and it's called a Stephen Crowder. You know who I'm talking about? He does the Change My Mind stuff where he goes on college campuses. <laughs> I've know? seen the memes. I've never Okay, heard. a lot of people have yeah. seen the memes. Yeah. Well, I, I actually watch his show, and when I tell people that, they're like, why in the world do you watch that? You and he <laughs> don't see eye to eye. I said, shockingly, I watch that show. Because, yeah, I know he's baiting people. He goes to these college campuses with inflammatory subjects, and he's prepared, and they're not, and they want to sit down, and they argue with him, and he's got information, and they don't, and he wins, and they look stupid. That's most of the time the formula. Yeah. Yeah. But I am fascinated to watch his show because it's just like what you said. I'm like, this is interesting because by watching his show, I get a peek into the other side a little bit because he's not – He's not hot-headed. Mm-hmm. And the way he presents his information, I'm like, he, he's doing this the right way. The problem is if you're going to debate or have a conversation with someone like him, you need to know going in, you need to have your stuff together. You do, yeah. You need to have yourself together. And, then you can, and I guess in a way, I guess getting back to your point is that it, I like watching it for the same reason I guess you'd like to have somebody like that in your session. I can watch that and go... I can get a pretty fair view of yeah. what the other side thinks. It's like watching abortion rights get uh, discussed. You have one side who is saying, you're attacking women. This is all about women's rights. And then you have this other side saying, this is babies. This is about babies living. And then they fight each other. And it's like, you guys aren't even talking about the same thing. Like, right. like okay, because like y'all aren't even talking about the same thing. And so y'all can have this conversation and you're never, ever going to be able because you're fighting this thing over here and you're fighting this thing over here. And, and so watching the other side, you can kind of get to where, because if somebody who is uh, pro women's rights could understand, Hey, these people think that this is a baby. It's a little bit easier to have a conversation and see what we could do about this. Whereas if the other person, you know, if they're looking at, Hey, this person is feeling like their rights are being infringed on you. We can have a little bit of a conversation, right. but right. we have this sensationalized thing where we're just, arguing squares versus apples and it's right like, yeah okay. and, and and honestly that's something that I've, I've i think that's the big trick honestly out there is if you can keep people worried in one camp or the other then they're never going to talk about middle ground and that that chaos ensues and then that's yeah. kind of where profits are gained and <laughs> that's where you could go into a whole other podcast with me because that's where you get into my uh that stuff's all stirred up just to kind of keep us from the real issues because i mean when you talk to most americans i think whether you're liberal whether you're conservative whether you're uh centrist most people agree we need to get rid of lobbyists we need to get rid of lobbyists we need to get rid of that and it's to the point where i want to say if they pulled the nation i think 90 
five percent of people to agree on it, but it never happens because politicians gain from lobbyists and they keep us uh, fighting over these rights and social things. And so this thing that everybody pretty much agrees on sticks there to the benefit of the politicians because we we get our focus taken away from it. Oh, sure. (laughs) Unity is not profitable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, Discord is for sure. Yep. How do people um, get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you? How should they find you? Okay, so uh, there's not a lot of B Plochets out there. So I was able to snag B at gmail.com. That's B P L A U C H E at gmail.com. I think there's a Beverly Ploche somewhere in Mississippi that uses that also, except I actually have the website. So every now and then I get signed up for like these church luncheons to bring uh, casseroles and stuff. And I have to be like, hey, I'm not Beverly, sorry. But <laughs> B at gmail.com is the easiest way. Um, I'm also at uh, New Horizons Counseling Centers where I have my private practice, uh, 337-478-1411. And then uh, we actually, the Tabletop Gaming Group, we have a group on Facebook. This is a weird one. It's Tabletop Gaming Group of Excellence Plus One. Maybe it's plus two. I can't remember. I think it's plus two. But um, that's Tabletop Gaming Group of Excellence. You can just type in Tabletop Gaming Group of Excellence, and that'll pop up. And you can join that. And we, we put um, when, when we're going to have our next sessions and things like that. Wow. Thank you so much, man. I really do appreciate you coming. This thank is a you, good definitely. conversation. Oh, definitely. Yep. Love it. I love you just as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Find the Good News. If you would like to advertise on this show or sponsor an episode, just visit findthegood.news. Send me a message and we'll see about getting your business, organization, service, product, or event on the show. I deeply thank each of you again for supporting this podcast.